Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Streaming live on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel, here's Nick and Matt. What is going on, everybody? How is everyone enjoying their Monday night? This is Nick from the Nick and Matt Show. I'm with my co-host, Matt. We are bringing you week number 65, I no. want to say, or 66. No, I think Maybe it's 67? 63. Oh, 63. Okay. I think I it's 63. Uh, if we're wrong, you know. guys we, can we laugh like, at us we had like a Yeah, we had like a 59 and a half in there some, somewhere. Who knows? But anyways, we appreciate everyone tuning in tonight. We got a star-packed lineup tonight with two winners of the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championships. So we're super excited to have Nathan Queen on in just a little bit and then Miss again. And oh, oh, for some reason, Nick is freezing up. He's, he's not wrong. We have Nathan Queen lined up. We've got Missy Gannon lined up. This is a star-studded show. So, and it's the end of the season. After like him, never. Nick, stop talking. <laughs> Nick, you're frozen up. That's yeah, wait, funny. I was talking I and you kept yeah. going, so that's fine. I just told him who we we're having. Okay. Um, Nick, cool. it is the off season officially mm-hmm. for this tour, as far as the tour is concerned. And guess what? I know it's the off season because you and I mm-hmm. both get to experience something called. New England team challenge. I'm just going to hit on it real quick because it's pretty epic for up here. We've got over a thousand disc golfers for sure in the New England area and New York (laughs) um, who come out and play. And the way it works, I'm just going to give them the quick version, Nick. Each course can kind of build their own team of about 16, 18, 20 players. You have some women in there and just whoever tries out for the team and makes it. There's divisions, A, B, C, D. I think they even go to E and then like a play in pool. If you win yeah. your division, you move up. If if top two move up, if you lose or top, bottom two in a division, you move down. And it just cycles until you make it up to a pool. And that's a big tournament. Travel all over New England. It's pretty epic, but it plays throughout the winter, snow, all that. But we've made it to that season. My first match is this weekend with my team. We're traveling up to Maine. So, Nick, are you still doing Very team cool. challenge? Uh, I'm going to try to make as many matches as I can. Obviously, living down in Virginia, it is a little tougher now. I think actually back in 2017 when I was living down here, I had either driven or flown to every single match that year. And there's nothing more miserable than going, playing and losing a match and then driving 10 hours back to Virginia. So <laughs> on that note, I would uh, actually, I would like to make enough matches so that I'm qualified to play in the finals. I still play for team Buffenville, which last year or two years ago, when everything before COVID really hit, we were the number one team in all of team challenge. We were undefeated, had one more match to go for the regular season. Uh, unfortunately with the COVID pandemic, uh, that season was canceled. So we never got to see if team buff was the legitimate best team in all of team challenge, but it's all good. I'm not bitter about it whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) About what? No. So people are already in here saying the weekend was amazing. Uh, we are going Mm -hmm. to recap how that kind of went down. Some of the interesting storylines and, and obviously, because it's obvious if you haven't seen this, Nathan queen, uh, they, people are claiming it to be the Cinderella story. And Mm -hmm. I don't think they're fully wrong. 28 seed taking it down. We're going to have him on, but we're going to talk about how that played out. Um, And then Missy Gannon. Mm -hmm. Nick, technically speaking, she was the first and highest paid ever player in disc golf. Don't even classify division ever for winning a tournament. She took Mm -hmm. that title. That's an interesting stat or fiction. 
Yep. <laughs> Who yep. Was she the was first? the first person to make $30,000 in one single disc golf tournament. Pretty insane. Stat Mando hooking us up with a bunch of stats to go along with our show. We're super excited. Unfortunately, Evan is not in studio tonight. Yeah. I don't know if Matt already said this or no. not. Um, <laughs> where people were giving us a hard time. We weren't paying him enough. And so we decided to potentially cut his pay. And he was like, you know what? I ain't coming back anytime soon until we uh, figure out pay. No, I'm just kidding. Um, now Evan can't be with us tonight, but we still, he hooked us up online with a bunch of cool stats. And then if you follow stat Mando on Twitter, or even just following the disc golf pro tour, a lot of the stats that they are using are provided by stat Mando. So if you're on Twitter, Instagram, anything like that, go and look up stat Mando, give them a follow. They've, they've hooked Matt and I up incredibly over the last few months. I don't even know when exactly we started with them, but the stats they give us, the spreadsheets they give us are insane yeah we started pretty i think before the season officially started or right in there we signed a nice deal saying let's do a couple episodes and see what happens and one thing led to another um yeah one thing led to another we're both mutually yeah. happy with with how this is yeah. working out so that is all that nick people are already um dropping super chats saying nick and matt let's get them an rv come on let's patreon this we want to get them on the road together to do crazy disc golf stuff in the off season da, 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 da. um all right let's let's go ahead and do this we don't usually start it out this early but i want to get into right away and i want to say thank you to our, our sponsors tonight so let's go ahead and do that nick hempfield botanicals we've had people reach out to us multiple times on this they said nick matt what is that stuff you talk about you guys rave about it you like it it works well for you and i'm going to tell you i used it again and again and again this week so here it is i always hold it up see if i can get it to focus that's kind of the goal here so it comes in this little jar this is the salve this is the stuff that's my favorite mainly because i do have tendonitis in my wrist when i was working on this week with my kids nick did you ever have like a go-kart or anything like that growing up no i mean we had dirt bikes oh that's right yeah, so we were I, a dirt bike family. Growing up, I was always wanting a, a go-kart as a kid. I was like, man, I want a go-kart. So now I'm an adult. I went out and bought a go-kart and it nice. needed some work. But I started, you know, turning some wrenches and using some whatever, right? Like banging on things, trying to make this thing work <laughs> well. Mm -hmm. And my wrist starts hurting and I literally went to find my hemp field. And as I told you, that's what I call it, hemp field. Um, and it's probably not nice to say this, but maybe I'm addicted to it, <laughs> but, um, it, but yeah. it works so well. I like the feeling that it gives to my wrist. Um, but you can use it on so many different things. In fact, Nick, uh, I'm going to pull up the website here and I'm mm -hmm. going to click on, so this is hempfieldbotanicals.com clicking on shop. All right, let me just read real quick here for you guys. Topicals, oral oils, Nick, say oral oils three times fast. Yeah, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> oral oils, oral oils, oral oils. Okay, Lord. anyways, that's hard to do. Uh, oral, oral oils. Oral oils, hemp tea, hemp flour, face oils, body products, pet products. Listen to this. Pain products. And then they have this these categories. Relax products, energy products. Uh, they even have apparel. Um, but I've been using these pain reduction products. Uh, they say, you know, Feel good, play better, muscle recovery right here. This product has really been working for me. And I know you've used it, Nick. And I know we talk about the the chapstick every time. <laughs> it's worth it, Exactly. Right? It's, it's funny. Good. I actually, I, I got some new chapstick. And my parents actually were just down here in Virginia visiting before they went on a little vacation. And uh, my mom had needed some chapstick, found mine on my dresser. 
took it and then we were out for breakfast this morning or last night I forget when we were all hanging out and then I was like holy crap you, you got my chapstick heads up it's got CBD products in it and she we were just laughing but she actually did really enjoy it and um yeah I'm I'm loving their stuff they're the official CBD sponsor of the disc golf pro tour so they're legit they're incredible incredible people running it and helping out in the disc golf world side of things um so I'm super excited for their support yeah totally I want to say thank you very much to them you can do the same say thank you very much by using the Nick and Matt show well, actually, it's Nick and Matt. Sorry, not the Nick and Matt show, but it's the Nick and Matt show's yeah. coupon code, Nick and Matt, 20% off. If you're not happy, let me know. Like, hey, Matt, we really didn't like the product, but I guarantee you that's not what you're going to say. You're going to say, wow, Matt's not wrong. Uh, and I've, I haven't been using like ibuprofen and all these other things. I've just been using this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm mm-hmm. happy with it. Go check them out. Support us by supporting them. Again, hempfieldbotanicals.com. All right. <clears throat> Thank you to them. All right, Nick, we're, we have a lot of topics to talk about. Let's go oh, yeah. ahead. Let's go ahead and jump in and talk about how this pro tour finale played out. And let's start with the FPO. So um, I'm going to let you react to some of this. Then when we get to the final four, we can talk about some of those percentages and how it went down. But let's start in the first round here. Okay. Um, so the women have 12 in the first round. Heather Young, Haley King, Jessica Weiss, Kona Panis play. They take it down. Okay, now, interesting note here. Kona Panis ties with Juliana Corver in this round one. But who has the higher seed moves on. Mm-hmm. So Kona Panis makes it in. Um, just react to this. Do any of these names surprise you as not making it? Juliana, Deanna Carey, Lisa Fakus, Kat Merch, Madison Walker, Rebecca Cox, Own Scoggins, Holly Finley. Out of that list, do one or two stand out to you? I think out of that list, the one that would maybe most stand out to me is Own Scoggins, uh, only because she has had a pretty good year. We've heard her name a decent amount throughout the year. Um, she's generally known, very well known for her putting. And so I kind of figured she would put up a decent battle going into this event. Unfortunately, um, she did not. She actually was off pace by about nine strokes. And that's just going up against Heather Young, who had won it. Um, I think she actually ended up losing or being out of it by at least seven or eight strokes. So that was the only one that was kind of really surprising to me. Uh, The rest of the players have had somewhat decent years at certain events. We've talked about them before, but I would say own for the biggest one would be my surprising after the first round. Yeah. And for me, the two that stand out possibly here again is Lisa Fakus because of last year. I felt like this course must have played strong for her because remember she made it to the final four last year. Um, Mm -hmm. And then possibly Holly Finley just being such a woods player that she is. Those would be who I added to the list with in addition to what you said. So semifinals, uh, you have, is it semifinals or semifinals, Nick? I think I've always said semifinals. All right. We'll go opposite of each other and I'll say Unless semi. I'm talking about it quick. I guess, I guess it, it works either or. <laughs> maybe I think we everyone should, knows what we're talking maybe about. Maybe we though. should ask Andrew Zimmern. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. That was an excellent show, by the way. If you missed that and you're hearing this one go back to last week and listen to one of disc golf's greatest fans, at least celebrity greatest fans, Andrew Zimmern. Um, so in the next final semifinals, uh, Missy Gannon, Haley King, Heather Young, Sarah Hokum move on. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you have not making it. You ready? React to this. Katrina Allen, Kona Panis, Paige Pierce, Jessica Weiss. Any of those stand out to you, Nick? 
All four of them stand out to me. Wow. I'm going to give you a reason why all four stand out to me. So obviously Katrina, uh, Katrina Allen and Paige Pierce being two of the most dominant players in FBO history, them not making it on from the semifinals going into the finals was very surprising. Uh, the reason why I say Kona and Jessica Weiss, because if they had shot the same scores they shot the first round that they played, they both would have moved on to the next round. So just playing consistently or inconsistently is the reason why they both did not advance. So that was the only surprising factor in that sense. But the biggest surprise I would say is Paige Pierce, who got second place in this last year to a playoff against Haley King. And yeah, I think ever for the most part, people would say she was probably picked the most. If I had to guess in the bracket challenge for an FPO winner. Yeah, I was pretty surprised, Nick. I'm not going to lie on that one. I mean, mm-hmm. both Katrina and Paige. Mm-hmm. And then again, I mean, here's the deal. Once you make it down to the semifinals, it's fully expected that, like, good players aren't going to make it. You can't all make mm-hmm. it, and you're in the yeah. semifinals. So that's, I mean, anyone who made it here, you're a good player. Um, But still, when you are ranked, you know, top one, two, or three, you feel like you probably have that edge to do it. And man, they just fell off. They weren't like Mm -hmm. Paige Pierce wasn't even realistically close. So, and Katrina Allen, even, I mean, she was two strokes off at least. So, so moving into the final for the FPO, and I know people probably watched this and they're probably like, we don't need to recap at all, but Missy Gannon, Sarah Hokum, Haley King, and Heather Young. So let's look at the stats real quick here. Um, I say stats. It is one round of stats. <laughs> and um, Missy Gannon, pretty much taking first in everything, minus like circle one. So she has first in fairway hits, first in circle two in regulation, first in scramble, first in circle one, C1X putting, and first in circle two putting. Missy Gannon had enough um, to do that. So um, Sarah Hokum, Heather Young, Haley King, talk about a little bit what you saw here. And I don't mean to make a huge deal out of it, Nick, but I think your perspective mm-hmm. is pretty good. Haley King, final round, starts out with what, a double bogey, and then it just mm-hmm. seems to go downhill from there. What What do you think about yeah. that? Like, what, what do you it think? Seemed, it's- it seemed to kind of snowball. I think I've said this a majority of the year. Um, when Haley King is not in it to win it at an event, I think she kind of gets either in her own mindset to where she slowly blows up throughout the round. Um, I think this event is just a little bit different knowing that she is walking away still with $8,000 um, just for making it into the finals. And then um, – Sorry, I'm just going through my PDGA page. Knowing that she's making $8,000, I think that was kind of maybe she was out in the crowd having fun. And I know I was going to talk about that a little bit more with the Adam Hammes and his last round for it. Um, This is the kind of tournament to where she worked hard all year to get to the position that she's in. She also worked hard during this tournament to get to the position that she's in. Going on to the last round, the let's say the slight inconsistencies, everything just kind of seemed to, everything bad seemed to happen this round. And then it ended up, not going in her favor whatsoever. And then on top of you have Missy Gannon, who is playing very, very consistent going up against that. But like I said, I think knowing that she is still walking away with $8,000 kind of put a little bit of ease with her mindset. I don't think she was, I don't know, not that she's mad about losing. Cause she, I, I would say she's definitely mad about losing, but I don't think in this sense of this style of tournament, she's not really kicking herself in the ass. I would say. And that's the part that, 
it has to be a challenge as these touring pros because you're so used to every single event being like, I didn't win or like uh, I came up short. But there is a victory in just making it to the final four. You feel like that would be like, I achieved it. But obviously as a competitor, they want to win it all. But my thought process is, and we're going to talk about it, very similar Adam Hammett's. We're not there yet, but like mm-hmm. in the final four there, I felt very similarly with that and how it played out to where I thought, man, just enjoy this. Like try to ace run, try to throw in big shots, just have fun because yeah, you've already exactly. won a good payout, you know? Um, so yeah, Missy Gannon took it down. We're going to talk to her later. And, um, Sarah Holcomb, I feel like she's been a little bit standout this year and in, in performances that mm-hmm. I wasn't fully expecting. So good for her second Heather young, another player, uh, that stepped up as you mentioned and Haley King, um, just not having a great final round, but honestly making it all the way there, um, is a success in a lot of ways. So, yeah. All right, let's talk about the MPO. Real quick, because we're going to lead right into Nathan Queen. So mm-hmm. let's go ahead and do this. In the first round, in round one, Nathan Queen, Chris Clemens, Gannon Burr, Emerson Keith move on. Now, Raven Newsom tied Emerson Keith, but Emerson Keith had the higher um, standing. So Seating. he moved on. Yep. Seating, yep. Uh, some names that just stand out to me as I try to speed this up a little bit. Maybe uh, Ben Calloway not making it in. Um mm-hmm. Andrew Presnell's been playing pretty good. Paul Uliberry, that one stands out to me a little bit. Let's go right into the quarterfinals, Nick. Drew Gibson, Gannon Burr, again, moves on. Nathan Queen, again, moves on. Two names from round one. Matt Oram moves on. Knocks out Chris Dickerson. That's a standout. Joel Freeman, I feel like that's been a standout of late mm-hmm. um, to move in. So Drew Gibson, Gannon Burr, Nathan Queen, Matt Oram out of the quarterfinals into the semifinals. Uh, let's get here. Uh, Adam Hammes, Paul McBeth, Drew Gibson, Nathan Queen. So you're seeing a trend here with Nathan Queen. He's doing what he has to do. Mm-hmm. Nick, react to this. These names. Which one stands out to you in the semifinals as being knocked out surprises you? Kyle Klein, Gannon Burr, Ricky Wysock, James Conrad, Kevin Jones, Calvin Heimberg, Matt Oram, Nico Locastro. Now, those names alone might be surprising, but let's say, you know, Nathan Queen made it in. There you go. So who out of that list? Mm-hmm. Uh, surprises you the most i mean you got to go with ricky wysocki being the most surprising to not make it out after the season that he's been having arguably the best player in the world right now arguably player of the year if you really want to look at everything and then our 2021 world champion james conrad kyle klein who's also been having a stellar year did not advance from the semifinals. Um, Gannon burr had been playing pretty well i i wouldn't say i was surprised that he did get knocked out in the semifinals. um and then, you know, Matt Orm or Calvin Heimberg, actually, uh, yeah. especially because he, you know, lost that round by 10 strokes. You know, he would have needed to play nine or 10 strokes better just to advance. Um, and you could kind of watch his demeanor out in the course. It just seemed very lackadaisy. Um, but yeah. anyways, he ended up not a thing. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, some of those names. I mean, James Conrad in the woods with a putter. I mean, Gannon Burr was seemingly on fire, doing some really good things. Mm-hmm. We have a topic about uh, Gannon, Kyle Klein. I mean, these names are no joke, right? Calvin Heimberg throwing fairways in the woods. I mean, that's an, that's that's a <laughs> that's a storyline you expect, and that's why these finals mm-hmm. are really exciting because it's one round moves on. Um, so we make it to the finals. Paul McBeth, Adam Hammes. Drew Gibson, 28th seed, Nathan Queen, making it to finals. 
And what are you thinking at this point, Nick? Going into the finals with these names, it, I imagine you picked Paul, but like, what, what, what I mean, were you, you thinking about, how yeah, it could play I mean, out? I definitely, I had picked Paul to win it after seeing his round um, in the semifinals. It looked smooth off of every single tee. You know, putting seemed to be going very well. Coming off a USDGC win, he's, you know, got momentum going with him. Um, Adam Hammond's been playing very stellar all year. And then Drew Gibson has proven once again and again and again that he knows how to play in the woods. He was hitting big putts when they mattered. Uh, so those three guys. And then you got, you know, the Cinderella story, Nathan Queen coming out as the 28 seed and just filleting this course and throwing good shot after good shot after good shot. Even when there's a mistake, he ends up making, you know, even just the par out of it, which was huge on some of these holes <laughs> with how wooded they were. So incredible finals to watch. I think I watched it from hole three on and absolutely incredible to watch. Yeah, this is what this is what disc golf is really, I don't want to say been missing over the years, but is storylines and what we were able to do with stats from this year and to look at and say things like nobody picked Nathan Queen, right? Being able to say things that are statistically true to build a bigger storyline. That's what disc golf needed. Thanks to people like stat man, though, you disc, um, podcasts that talk about this stuff, the disc golf pro tour disc golf network, it builds the story. And so when something unfolds like this, we already know about Paul, that story has been told, right? And he's coming off mm -hmm. of big wins. Adam Hammis, a great season, drew Gibson, just shredding things lately. Right. And he, as he always does. And Nathan Queen, a name that is known in disc golf, but not talked about very much at all. So he's getting his time. We hit him up. He said, I'll come on the show. So that's what, that's what we're going to do. We're going to let him get his camera adjusted here. And then we're going to bring him in. It looks like possibly he's hanging out in his new RV or something, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Uh, let's go ahead and bring him in. If you're ready, Nathan, if you're ready, we'll bring you in. All right, here we go. Nathan Queen, everybody. Welcome to the show. We're glad you're here. Uh, first of all, congratulations. Second, Absolutely. Of, yeah. Second of all, you just got to walk us through the whole experience. I know it's one day fresh, but that's important. I want you just to kind of walk through it, the feeling going into this finale and then to this ending point, I guess. Cool. Well, thank you guys for having me here. It's been, it's been an incredible week all week long. Been able to just center myself and I felt really comfortable and confident throughout the week. I didn't really have many nerves going on except maybe Saturday morning going into the semifinals. I got a little bit nervous, but that was just while I was at home. Uh, since it's been over, it's just kind of a very fresh, a fresh new feeling for me. It's been a long a long time coming for myself. Like you guys were just talking about, nobody else really saw it coming. Mm -hmm. um, but just an incredible feeling. I'm still not sure I fully understand what it's going to mean for me just yet, but I still haven't stopped smiling and I'm still just floating around over here. <laughs> that's that's got to be an awesome feeling. And you get to look at it every single time with that trophy right behind you. Winning arguably one of the biggest tournaments of the year, the biggest payout of the year. How does this kind of talking about, in a sense, the money aspect of it, how does this kind of plan your future touring? Were you planning on going back out on the road next year? How does this help out in that situation? I was already planning to tour next year. Uh, like you guys saw, I am actually sitting in my new 
trailer that I picked up before this event. And um, it, it just makes it a lot easier for next year, you know, uh, getting the truck in the trailer beforehand. I paid for it all up front, so it was pretty uh, a pretty hefty tag there. Let me feel in a little bit lower bank account wise going into next year. But now it's just it's not going to be not that it was going to worry me and bring me down. But now I don't really have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And this is interesting because last year we had an interview with the winners and that was the largest cash payout. And we said at that point, that's life changing for a lot of disc golfers. Um, It changes up how they perceive the coming year. Um, You just talked about the price tag of paying for something like your traveling setup ahead of time. What does this do for your perspective on the coming year? Like, are you dreaming different things now? Are you thinking different things even as of one day ago? Like, what are your thoughts? Um, I think this the thoughts are about the same, but they're the actions on them are going to be a lot faster. It already feels like I've already got a few things working just within the last 24 hours um that i'm pretty excited about i'm not gonna give much away besides that but (laughs) come um, on (laughs) (laughs) are you talking things like sponsorships that kind of a thing yeah different sponsorships and just other opportunities that that come along from such a you know monumental win like this i guess is a good way to put it yeah absolutely definitely other companies uh whether manufacturer wise or even just other companies in the disc golf world finding the value in you and especially on such a massive stage i don't know exactly how many viewers were watching but this is going to be aired on espn within the month i mean it's definitely it was a huge stage to win it on and so you were coming in as the 28th seed into this event people are calling it the cinderella story you're coming out of the first round have you some people say this is one of your home courses or you play here a lot talk to us just about your mindset going into every single round it's cause it's a whole new day. Previous day score doesn't matter as long as you make it into the next round. Right. So I never actually have lived in Charlotte. I have played Hornet's nest a little bit, but I never, I only played one round on it in the original layout. And then before the pro tour in 2019, I just had a couple rounds on it and I played the Carolina clash there. So not necessarily a home course, but I did have some rounds in on it and feel pretty comfortable on the course. Um, Going into that first round was just get out there and get your birdies, you know. I feel pretty comfortable playing the course, and I have a lot of opportunities to birdie out there. So as long as you don't mess up and take the bogeys, you should be going all right. Um, And just each day, I kind of, when people were, you know, I got so many people reaching out to me just telling me congratulations and everything. And a lot of the time I responded with, yep, one more start tomorrow. Uh, so just looking at each round, like starting a new round, it's not it's not a the same tournament. I started a new tournament each day was uh, kind of the mindset I looked at. Interesting. How, how does that affect your gameplay? Do you feel like that was nice, like easy or was it like, man, all that work I did, like we just got to start over? What was your perspective on that? Uh, well, if we compare it to the rest of the season, it seems like I should think about that every round because uh, this is the first time I've won something like this. So uh, it might be something I take up next year, thinking about each round like a new tournament and get off to a hot start. Yeah, it's it definitely. And I was going to ask you if you could rate your rounds and maybe you could do each of them if you'd like to. But like 
rate your rounds. Did you feel like you were playing out of your mind? Was it really good for yourself? Or did you feel like this is how I normally can play? I just haven't been like, what was your thought process? Uh, that's a, that's a pretty tough one to answer. I think, (laughs) (laughs) um, I missed a circle one putt each round. I missed one inside the circle, which I don't feel like I should do. Uh, even if they are a circle's edge, I don't feel like I should make those um, or miss those. And other than that, I I feel comfortable throwing in the woods. So hitting those gaps is what I feel like I should do. Um, that last round, uh, being able to to hit those four par threes in a row, 13, 14, 15, 16, hit the gaps on all four of those, those are all super tight. That um, I don't know that I can say I expect myself to always do that, but at that point in time, I did, and um, it was it was just awesome to be able to pull it off. To be able to do it in that moment while you're going against Drew Gibson playing an incredible tournament, Paul Macbeth just coming off a USDGC win, and then Adam Hammes with some decent wins this year. Does the pressure of who you're playing with on your card? ever get to you or like you were saying earlier is it just you know what hey it's a new round i gotta go out and do my thing yeah usually i don't have much pressure on who i'm playing with or how they're playing i do pretty well with uh sticking within my game a lot of the time like drew made 17 putts outside of 80 feet you know (laughs) he was (laughs) he just kept making putts the whole time but it never you know that never made me feel like i had to make my putt more um, I was already going into it knowing that I had to make my putt to do what I needed to do. Um, so I just, I really enjoy playing with high caliber players like that. Cause you get to watch awesome shots while you do it as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, this really just makes it the most fun it can be. When did you have the feeling of, Holy crap, I just did it. Was it actually on the last part of you putting it in or was it after parking hole 15, parking hole 16 and getting strokes on everyone, saving an incredible par on hole 17. I think that was one of your only, that last round, maybe one of your only big missed drives was on 17. And then you had the mindset of, you know what, I'm not going to push anything. I'm just going to play putter or mid putter or mid, however you went up and you got your par. When did it all kind of sink in that? Like, wow, this, this actually is happening. Uh, so once I laced the drive on 16, um, I wasn't exactly sure if I got all the way down to the basket or not, but I saw it crest the hill and start to fade back. And I knew that that was what it was supposed to do. Uh, I got up over top of that hill and saw my disc about, you know, six or seven feet behind the basket. That was a pretty close moment to, if I, I had it wrong in my head, I wasn't looking at the scores and I was one stroke off on, on what was actually going on. So uh, when I took that birdie on 16 after Drew made another 70 footer, um, <laughs> to, I thought that that put him two back of me going into 17. So I was looking at, I need one birdie on these last two holes to make sure I secure it. And once I got that tee shot on 17, I actually disked down to try to play safer. I was messing that tee shot up through the first three rounds, I kept messing up and getting lucky and landing in the fairway. So I disc down to that Mako three to try to make sure I could land in the fairway slightly further than where I had been kicking to. And it just kicked into the woods. <laughs> so 
I guess I should never really diss down. I should just go for it. But, uh, but yeah, just play for par from there. And um, once I got that par, I looked at the scores to make sure I was right that I that I had one stroke and probably needed to birdie. And I saw that I had two strokes. And that's about that's when I knew that I wasn't gonna mess up eighteen enough. Didn't matter what I did. My wraith is my pretty easy shot. That's what I throw off of that tee. I, I feel mm-hmm. comfortable throwing that in pretty much any situation. So just throw my normal shot on 18 and I'm going to take it. That was uh, that was when I knew. So it was either before or after your tee shot on 18. Uh, you can see on video, Paul Macbeth and you and someone else were kind of like crouching down, just like laying low. And it looked like Paul was talking to you. Was it about anything? Was it anything in specific or like, Hey, you're going to watch the sports games tonight. What, what was he talking to you about? That was me finding out that it was two strokes instead of one. He came up to me and said, he could tell that I look nervous, I guess. And he came up to me and said, Hey, unless he aces, I think you got it. And, and uh, that was pretty much it. That was me finding out I had two strokes and then nice. it was going to be an easy hole 18. I didn't have much pressure on it. Very cool. Wow. So in the chat, people are really excited for you. Some people said this is the first time they've ever cried with someone winning. So you've brought people to tears. Um, there is a significant story to be told here, and I'd love to see a, uh, even a, a short documentary on this for you. Um, maybe we need to reach out to the same. Actually, I have the contact for Paige Pierce's producer there. Maybe I'll reach out and say this is a great story. But how did the crowd help in this situation? It seemed from our perspective as fans the crowd was really rallying behind you with every round that went through. What was your experience on that side of it with the crowd? Uh, Pretty similar. Um, It seemed like they were there for me the whole time. Um, Slightly smaller crowds on the first day, but still whenever, you know, I got that 90 foot throw in on 18 the first day and I know it wasn't as loud as the final celebration, but there was enough people there that it was definitely a significant amount of noise. And um, the I could tell throughout the whole week, but what finally made me realize that the crowd was there to watch, to watch me pull this off was whenever we were on the tee on one the final day, and they announced my name last because I was still the lowest seed, so I teed off last. And I got louder cheers then all the other three players with Paul McBeth there, five-time world champ. And that was when I could kind of for sure know that I could just feel it. You know, all of, all of them were there to watch me try to pull this off. And they, I could, they all wanted me to, it was, it was, it was very cool. I can't, I really can't even imagine it. I don't need to, I'm not playing. I'm not the one competing at that level. Um, what, I'm I'm kind of at a loss of words because I have to imagine someone in your skill level playing disc golf at a very high level. This is, am I wrong in saying this is your biggest win? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're not wrong. Okay. In the, there's, there's nothing close. There's okay. nothing close. I think I saw a stat that said maybe your highest payout ever was 1600. So this destroys that. Um, yeah, even even if I would have got knocked out the first round, I still would have got my highest payout. <laughs> Success, <laughs> pretty. That's funny. Pretty awesome on the pro tours part. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess I'm just asking, like, tell us about you and your disc golf career. Um, 
I'm trying to go back. I don't even know how far. Like, tell us a little bit about like your disc golf journey for like maybe even the point of like, hey, I decided to tour. You don't have to give us every little inside detail, but like, did you have dreams? And your some of these dreams are now like this was part of that dream. Like, I'm gonna win something huge. I'm gonna show people I can beat the best. Like, tell us about your journey uh, to choose to play disc golf. Yeah, it's a lot. It started a lot later age-wise as far as most people. Um, I moved to a new town, Newburn, North Carolina, when I was 23. And I knew I played disc golf some, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that I did all the time. Um, but when I moved there, it's kind of a retirement and military town. And, you know, I don't have much to do with either of those. So, uh I went out and just started playing disc golf a lot. The first day I was there was the Tuesday night doubles. Met some people, started playing a lot, and they all told me I was good. Um, Scott Stokely actually was around New Bern in 2014 telling me that I needed to go out and tour and whatnot. And I was just, I didn't know who he was at that point either. He was just a guy with blue hair telling me I needed to go play disc golf. But so, you know, that's kind of the early signs of people telling me that they thought I had something. And I was just working my job, going out and playing to have fun in the evenings. Um, ended up moving to Raleigh. And I had started playing a lot of tournaments at that point. I didn't have much going on otherwise. So I'd take my dog to go play in the evenings and then go play a tournament on the weekends. And um, 20... 16, 17, and 18, I won the NC Point Series title, which is, uh, just look that up. It's a pretty sweet trophy, you know, almost three foot long, the shape of North Carolina with all the winners on it from 1970 and on, I believe. Nice. Um, And then I traveled to Pittsburgh in 2018 to try to qualify for USDGC because it was the closest one to me. It was about a nine and a half hour drive. I went with a couple buddies and I guess this would be my second biggest win that I'm about to say is that Pittsburgh flying disc open. I won that a tier to qualify for USDGC in 2018 when, and then I went to USDGC and got 11, you know, they put me on a feature card with Sexton that year then I was able to play pretty well and get 11th. And that's what pushed me to decide to tour at 29 in 2019. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, do you feel like though, like in your mind, were you always thinking like that big one is there? Is that, is that ever crossed your mind or were you just like, eh, whatever it is, it is. No, absolutely. I went out with the expectation that I was going to be in contention at most of these events. That's what, you know, that's kind of what I was talking about that. I haven't met my expectations throughout this year. I had a couple good finishes, but even in those, I wasn't necessarily in contention and that's what I expect myself to do. I know that I have the ability to do that. Yeah. That was going to kind of be my next question is now going into the 2021 year after 2020 season, that was kind of shortened uh, due to the pandemic. Now 2021, everything's kicking back up. The pro tour seems to be doing a ton of incredible things. What were your goals? Was it just being in contention, possibly winning? Did you have any other goals going throughout the season? Uh, Not just trying to be in contention and be there every week. I I am one of the players that actually plays more events than a lot of people. I don't really know what to do with myself if I'm not out 
preparing or getting ready for a tournament. I just kind of feel lost and not sure what to do. So I play a lot of events and I just always want to be able to play at a high caliber wherever I'm at. You know, I should be able to adapt to what's going on and be in contention for it. Out of the 33 events, it looks like you played this year. Three of them you didn't cash out. You actually got 55th at USDGC, 54th at Idlewild, and 51st at Great Lakes Open. Does that, when those events happen and you have an off week like that, what is kind of your mindset during that week or even going into the next tournament? What are you thinking about in that moment? Well, it kind of depended on the event this year. Great Lakes Open is... um. That one's a, a tough one for me as far as distance, I think. It's, uh, that, one, it, that place just kind of confuses me. I've had a, a weird run there in the, in the two years before this, and um, it just doesn't feel like I can quite reach things. But then the last round, I shot a, seven, a clean seven down, and none of them were circle two putts, so I can reach things. So that one's just kind of... I don't really know what happens there. It wasn't, I wasn't too concerned about that one. Idlewild kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. That's one of the tracks and kind of in the woods that I'm supposed to do well at. I'm not really sure what happened at that one, but it still the mindset's pretty similar going into the next one. You just got to, you know, move on from it and uh, try to get past it, not think about it too much or it can drag you down. Mm-hmm. During USDGC, was on accident when I ended up trying to get it kind of getting the truck and trailer the deals just kind of fell into place and I had to jump on it at that point so I had a lot on my mind during that week and I you know it's just an incredible atmosphere to be there Innova does great with how they treat the players there and uh the course in general everybody always talks about how they love playing it regardless of what you see on the internet in person all the players that I see there just love being there Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, even though I didn't catch there, I would, I didn't feel it was kind of strange cause I've done so well there the last few years, but you know, it's that championship course that OB can bite you. It does it to a lot of players. So I, I was able to handle that one pretty well and, uh, come into this week still feeling strong. Very good. So I think. You told us a little bit about your story. People are wanting to know about your bag. I'm hearing things about polecats and tell us about <laughs> no polecats. No polecats. Okay. <laughs> um, tour series discs, things of that nature. If you get one, do you have one? What do you want to tell us about your discs? What, what's your go-to? You talked about a wraith earlier, but like, what are you throwing? Your go-tos. Yes, Star Wraith is going to be my go-to driver. I actually don't have another distance driver in my bag right now i've got four or five race of different stabilities uh using double g's halo wraith for my stable shots um and i guess thunderbird could be a distance driver but i throw thunderbirds tl3s mako threes gators um pretty much a lot of discs that nobody else throws (laughs) i throw studs and colts as my putters that I throw a lot along with the AVR X3 and uh, putt with infinite alpacas. Mm. So, gotcha, gotcha. no, that's good. People enjoy finding out what, you know, the disc golf pro tour finale champion for the MPO throws with. So there you go. Um, yeah. So 
Nick, we've called out people before as in like dark horses, but we called them on the Nick and Matt show, the wild horse. And we pick mm-hmm. wild horses. We didn't do that for this finale, but I think it picked it for us right here. I mean, is he not the greatest wild horse we've ever seen in a tournament? I mean, yeah, definitely for this style of tournament, having someone advance from the first round, play four consistent rounds, beating the best players in the world. Uh, yeah, that would definitely be considered that. <laughs> okay. So what would, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Nick. No, we both I was going to say ahead. what, what, um, Throughout the year, the disc golfers have a very busy schedule of you play your tournament and then you're traveling to the next one. Then you practice a couple days on the course. Do you do any other practice outside of just specifically on the course? Like, what do you think brought you to that next level of being able to consistently play well on the tour? Uh, Just whenever you go out to the course, being able to get through the course one time, uh, go forward, you know, walking down the fairway, look back on the fairways and check out what's going on with everything and being able to pretty much just pick out what you want to do by looking at it without actually throwing is um, one of the one of the skills I would say that's pretty needed to be out here all year long and try to learn so many different courses all the time that the first year that I played a lot in 2015. I was working five days a week and then I'd go play a tournament on the weekend. So that entire year, I pretty much played 25 or so tournaments blind. The first round I played blind on the weekends. And I think that transferred to to helping me out on the road, getting to play so many different courses. I can take a look at it and just by the distance and the shape of it, able to figure out what disc is going to be best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, and I'm an amateur level player, and my rating will tell you that I'm not that good. I'm 950, but I think from hanging out and being able to get in some practice rounds, what you just mentioned is super crucial. Like the idea of walking down a fairway and looking backwards and just seeing more than what's on the tee pad. Um, how much practice, and maybe you said this and I missed it. I apologize. Trying to line up show stuff during the show can sometimes make me a bad host. Did you talk about what went into preparation at this event specifically? Uh, how many times did you get in a practice round or things of that nature? Uh, no, I haven't yet, but I was still pretty busy getting, you know, transferring titles and whatnot with the truck and the trailer. And I also sold the RV that I've been traveling in for the last three years. Uh, so I played one practice round on Tuesday before the event This um that started on thursday i was i was going to play another practice round on wednesday but i ended up selling my rv that day and had to handle some things (laughs) so i wasn't able to make it out there so i only got one round in but i took my time i was probably out there for four and a half or five hours just on my one round if i didn't get a hole right uh with the disc that i wanted to throw on it i'd go pick it up and go back and throw it again to make sure that was was the shot that i needed to do so only one round, but it was a very slow practice round and make sure I had it right. I think one of the biggest things for uh, me personally, just kind of talking about, okay, these people advanced the first round, who's going to advance the second round was in the first round, you had this insane stat of like 72% putting from circle two. Where, where did that come from? How much time are you spending on your circle two putts? And then to be able to, I mean, you you got me when it came to advancing throughout the rounds and I nothing but congratulations towards you. But I thought after that first round, I was like, okay, 
he's probably not going to go out and do 72% from circle two again. But then it seemed like when I said that you just went and put the disc closer and then made everything from circle one. So, I mean, that's a huge adjustment, but how much time are you spending putting and where, you know, even in that first round, like where was all that coming from? Um, I do try to do some practice putting every day or multiple times a day. Um, I usually don't putt for longer than 10 or 15 minutes. It's hard for me to focus on it and actually do helpful things for longer than that at a time. Uh, but I, I try to do at least three 10 to 15 minute sessions a day of putting where I'll intertwine circle one and circle two putts, putt from circle two. And if one bounces away, I've got to make the comebackers and things like that. Um, I put in a little bit of extra time warming up before the event than I normally do on the putting green. Usually I just kind of get warmed up, make some putts and then move on. But I, you know, put a little bit of extra time into it uh, before the round started. I think specifically what got me going on that first round was um, a part hole one and then on hole two. I put it on the island, was just outside the circle, probably 38 feet or so and um my normal miss is low which is a good thing but damn it's aggravating and um <laughs> i hit the cage for my first circle two putt on hole two and uh there was one of the flag banners behind me waving and i turned around and it was right in my face and i just let it cover my face up for a while i sat there <laughs> just kind of you know focus calming down or doing whatever i don't exactly remember what i was thinking about but it definitely got me fired up like you can't do that again this is not the tournament to hit the cage you have to give these putts a chance and uh i did well after that so sometimes missing one can get you going <laughs> i like how you can remember that moment like that's just making me happy you just you let the flag just blow in your face excellent um so a question that I wanted to ask, and I usually ask for our first time guest on the Nick and Matt show is what, can you give us an idea of something you enjoy doing outside of disc golf, whether it's a hobby, uh, just downtime, something relaxing for you? Like, what is it that you like to do outside of disc golf if you're not disc golfing? The biggest thing I've picked up this year is uh, mountain biking, some single track or downhill if I can find it. But um, I used to do motocross and I was really missing being on two wheels. It's a little different having a pedal. It's definitely got me in a little better shape, which is nice also. But mm -hmm. uh, mountain biking has definitely, that's my hobby aside from my job hobby. Nice. Yeah, that's perfect. And we love hearing what others' hobbies are because it makes you relatable to someone who's not as good as you at disc golf. They're like, oh, I, I like mountain biking. <laughs> yeah. um, and then just to wrap this up, just to put this, and I'm sure you've heard this stat, thanks to Stat Mando for coming up with these, but your total earnings all time, $27,283 this weekend, obviously 30000 outdoing your career earnings. Um, one more time, how does that leave you feeling? Uh, you saw the smile pop up while you were talking about it, man. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible, and it makes me feel a lot more comfortable going into a future of disc golf for multiple years to come. Very cool. I guess my last question... You just had this absolutely incredible win. No one picked you in these brackets. What do you say to people who are wanting to get out onto the tour? What are you saying? What's the best tip that you can give them? 
Um, if you if you want to come out and you feel that you have the ability to do so, make sure you are mentally and financially prepared to come out. You don't want to come out and be thinking about making cash to continue. You know, if if you can if you can get out there and not worry about making it to the next event, and you have the skill level, then get out there and do it. Very cool. I think that's it. I mean, we tell people the same thing to get into disc golf media. If you feel like you can do it, then go for it and do it. Might exactly. Well do it. So awesome. Absolutely. Good words from you. Is there any shout outs you want to give to anybody, including family members, anything you want to do? Uh, we think we have about, and I, I've never given out our numbers, but we probably have in the range of 15 to 20,000 people who will hear this. Is there anybody that you want to shout out? I uh, absolutely want to shout out my dad, Russell Queen. He does a lot for me, helped me out a lot in the transition of getting the truck and trailer actually flew out to wyoming to drive the truck back for me um and he's he helps me out like that all the time uh, he's my rock he's taught me a lot of things um all my friends and family rebecca cox for being there for me my girlfriend um and all my sponsors for keeping me on the road all year as well innova champion discs tree love disc golf fossa disc golf flight towel and fit inspired living make sure you check all of those guys out uh they do a lot for me and i really appreciate that everything that they've done for me and all the fans that i've gained just across the country man it's so cool just all the people that take you in i've gotten so many messages saying this city this state is is all pulling for you all week long and um thank you guys it's a cool feeling i like being out here playing i'm glad you guys are enjoying it very cool. I was honestly just about to ask, what is like, where can people find you on social media who have become fans this week or might not know where to find you? Yeah, my Instagram is in queen underscore six, eight, two, eight, six. That'll be the best place to check it out. Um, and I didn't mention it earlier. I do have a tour series Wraith uh, through Innova. Hopefully those will be up again soon. They've been selling very well this year. So um excited about that you can check that out on the end of the pro shop as well absolutely i i said 15 to twenty thousand, but that sometimes is based off of who we have let's push this one to the moon baby like this is going to be a good one people want to hear from you nathan we're glad that you came on and hey nick i said nathan i think every single time and not nate i'm proud of myself so exactly it is nathan Uh, and that's what we want to respect that yeah, I would have told you if you didn't. So you did. <laughs> oh, I thought one of the, uh, one of the funny thing is uh, Nate 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 Sexton and Nate Doss were both commentating, <laughs> and he said, "You know what? I'm going by Nathan all this week in honor of Nathan Green." <laughs> so that that actually that that made me laugh pretty good when I was listening to it. But anyways, dude, congratulations! Thank you for coming on our show tonight. We really appreciate it. This is a very fun time, and we look forward to having you again in the future. Well, thank you guys. Have a good night. All right, Take it easy. peace out, Nathan. All right, everybody. That was pretty cool. Um, Nick, react to that a little bit. That interview, I'm going to set up our next one. So give us what you got. Ah, it was awesome. I mean, I love having on new guests and especially, you know, people who haven't been in the spotlight multiple times throughout the year. You know, we've had Paul on a couple of times. We've had, you know, Missy coming on. We've had her on a couple of times. Ricky, Eagle, all these different players. We've had on multiple times. And then to have someone come out and just do... We keep saying it, the Cinderella story of this tournament coming out from the first round and taking it down, taking home a massive paycheck, the biggest one in disc golf history. Um, 
it's super fun to have him on for an interview. Seems like a very down to earth guy. I don't know how many conversations I maybe had conversations in passing with Nathan, but definitely not too many, not enough to, you know, you know, call her, you know, <laughs> acquainted. I would say we're acquainted at this point, but um, <laughs> nah, very, very fun interview. Glad to have him on. We're acquainted. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was just, he's very, and I mean this in an awesome way, very chill. Like, he, he seemed like he went through his round exactly how he was in personality here as well. And I've never hung out with him, but I mean, he just seems like that even keel. Like, and I think that's very important for competition in golf or disc golf to be able to maintain that. I mean, it, very cool. I'm really happy mm -hmm. for him. I look forward yeah. to just, he doesn't even have to win again. He has a story that's going to last a lifetime. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, no, absolutely. that's awesome. Very cool. And I think someone else we have stories that will last a lifetime now is we technically have the first ever player to win a tournament and make $30,000 off of that tournament. We have Missy Gannon, who, if you guys are fans of the show, you saw her last week. You've seen her, I don't know, what, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times so far. We've been having Missy on. She's been on an absolute tear lately. So, ladies and gentlemen, Missy Gannon. How are you doing? Hello. I'm great. How are you? Just for the smiles. Everyone's smiling tonight. It's almost like it's almost like you guys won this big tournament. You know, tell us tell us what happened, Missy. What what went on this last weekend? I mean, craziness. I can't even believe that this is like my reality right now. Um, but yeah, taking down the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championships and taking home, you know, the largest cash payout of all time um is uh, it's crazy i don't know how to describe it well let's just kind of walk through a few things with that because you just brought it up uh first of all you've probably heard some of these but let's react to it anyways with our listeners missy gannon the best cash payout in a single month of any player in disc golf history ever so good job <laughs> <laughs> um the previous high just to put it in perspective was chris dickerson in 2020 he he took home 23,000 in one month so you just beat that by what is the math there uh 13,000 i think 13,000 dollars so i mean it's a big payout that's a big part of it but obviously you had to play pretty good also to get to that 36,000 mark so we talked to you last week and I remember one of my questions specifically, and I didn't want to set, remember I was talking about jinxing you and setting you up and like, is this going to continue? <laughs> and I said, how's your game feeling? And I asked, is there anything you're wanting to change or work on going into this next week, which was this last weekend? And you said, no, you're feeling pretty good. It seemed to translate out there. Did things go your way or did you uh, maybe a little bit of both or did you feel really good out there? I uh, Both for sure. I mean, I felt really, really good, and uh, it was going to take one or more of my competitors to also be feeling really, really good. Um, obviously, any one of my competitors this, throughout the entire event could have beaten me. So uh, even, even with the way that I played, I think that there are so many scoring opportunities out there. Um, but I was just fortunate enough to have played at a pretty high level and that nobody could really put the same sort of rounds together um, in, you know, in each match. So um, 
yeah, it definitely was a little bit of both for sure. But uh, I know that when I am on and I am playing at a really high level, um, it it will take a lot to you know try to track me down. Yeah, without without dissing anybody, because that's our job. No, I'm kidding. We don't want to diss anybody, but we don't have to say names either. Just generally, were you? Is this how it played out for you when you kind of ran it through your head who your final four would be? I guess that's where I'm trying to get. Like, did you have any expectations or dreams of what you were going to have to do in the final round? And when you were there, were you like, wow, this is a different group than I expected? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I, I had very little expectations um, going into every each of the two rounds that I played. Um, I, I didn't want to think about what I think I should shoot. I didn't want to think about you know, what's at stake. I knew that either way I was going to walk away uh, feeling proud of the season that I had put together. I had earned my spot and my buy into the semifinals going into, you know, the pro tour championships. Um, I had just won a, a big event the previous weekend. I really just knew that I was happy with my season and I was going to walk away with a good amount of money regardless of what happened so uh i think i just had my i have i was in just a really good mindset um to set myself up for success and so when i don't have to be thinking about all those ex extra things and just focus on every shot every hole my game plan um yeah i just i set myself up for success and um yeah I, I, honestly <laughs> that's the glory of that style of event and the way that um the way that the format is, is that you just never really know you, it, you know, we see so much fluctuation even during normal um, tournaments that you'll have somebody come out and shoot hot, even if say they might've been on the third, fourth, fifth card and they shot a five down um, and moved up, you know, a bunch of spots. But yeah. Um, it, it, so in this type of event, like it, you just have to have that hot round, uh, you know, and, and mm -hmm. beat out, the person behind you you just have to do everything you did that's all you have to do <laughs> yeah exactly i mean looking back I'm, I'm just on udisc live right now going through your rounds your semifinals, you played very clean you shot five down no bogeys and then going into your finals you were five down after the front nine and your nearest competitor from that was only one down when did you i asked nathan this just a little bit ago when did you figure out that like you know holy crap I just won this. Was it tapping in that last shot or was it a couple holes prior? What what was your mindset going into, let's say the last, the back nine? Sure. Yeah. Uh, the back nine, I knew I had played pretty well on the front nine. I had racked up a few birdies and even in my opinion, a bonus birdie on hole seven, I think, um, you know, it's just a really tough birdie in general, but um, I was able to cash that one in after I think missing a birdie opportunity on hole four, um, so I knew that I had played the front nine pretty well, knowing that that was maybe the easier, uh, half of the course, um, and going into the back nine with no bogeys and uh, a few birdies under my belt, um, really just helped to keep my confidence pretty high. And, uh, you know, when I went into the back nine, I, I played pretty clean, you know, eight, well, Hole nine, I got the birdie. Hole 10 is a pretty, it's kind of a tweener hole for us now. Um, so I, I took the par. And then hole 11 was the first hole that I kind of struggled on. And uh, 
I was still trying to find every way to get the par on that hole, but uh, Tom looked at me after I was at my second lie and was just like, hey, I think you're just going to have to take your medicine and, you know, get bogey. So that's what I did. I did give a stroke back to Sarah and two strokes to, to Heather, but I still knew that I had a, a, you know, a little bit of a lead at that point. So getting, I think, I feel like when I got, I feel like hole 12 was kind of a pivotal moment for me because it's a par five. Um, it takes, I think, two very specific shots to kind of set yourself up for the, the best opportunity to get a birdie on that hole. Um, Sarah and I threw our tee shots really well. Then we both were kind of in similar spots on our second uh, shots. She was a little bit out from me and absolutely parked it, hit the bottom of the, of the, um, the little pyramid under the basket and she was a guaranteed a birdie. And then I, I go up to my lie, I throw my shot. I end up kind of going a little long, just about uh, circle's edge, maybe like 22 to 25 feet. And uh, I canned that putt to match her. And I think at that point I knew that it was going to be hard for them to, to, for any of my competitors, but specifically Sarah at that point to kind of gain strokes on me. Um, I was just feeling so good on the green, especially. And I was feeling like I was getting off the tee pretty clean. So I think I knew that I took it, that I was like, I'm going to win this. Honestly, when I threw my tee shot on hole 17, I absolutely cured that gap. I landed in the best possible position, exactly where you want to land. Um, and even, and put myself in, in birdie range, even though I didn't even need a birdie at that point. Um, but being the person that I am, I wanted to make sure I threw the best shots, uh, possible, regardless of what the situation was through my second shot and, uh, knew that it was pretty perfect, but couldn't really, it's a blind, it's kind of a blind shot. So, uh, you know, once I heard the crowd kind of go wild up by the green, I was like, well, I'm going to get a birdie here. And, you know, that's basically the last, you know, nail in the coffin. Mm -hmm. Man. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, what you're talking about makes me think through this. We think so much about this event and the win being so large because of the payout. We said, this is the largest payout ever. And that's just a story because at this point in the history of the sport, that's what they chose to do. We can do a $30,000 payout. But I think, and this is where I'm standing. I'm interested in your perspective. Take away the $30,000, the competition you had to go up against, which is the finale, which is all the best players in your division. And to come out round after round after round after round and taking it down, you can't discredit the $30,000, right? But like, how big of a win was this against the competition you had to go against? Uh, yeah, it was, it was the biggest win of my career. Um, I think that like you said, all of the best players earned their spot to compete at this event. Um, you know, we had to qualify. We had to play pretty consistently all year. It was only 16 competitors in the female pro division that um, were able to get into this event. And uh, I was your third seed. So, you know, I knew I was one of the higher or better seeds. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, it just, at the end of the day, you know, when we going, going into that semifinal round, it was, it was Paige, it was Katrina, it was, you know, Sarah all with me in that top four. 
And then, you know, Haley King, the defending champion, um, Heather Young, and uh, I think Kona Panis and Jessica Weiss. And so, you know, all names we know, all names that we've seen on the leaderboards throughout the entire year. So, um, yes, aside from the 30,000, 30, that's kind of the, the cherry on top, honestly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think it was, I think it was the best of the best and uh, it feels good to, to take him all down. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Is it really the cherry on top though? Or is it actually the ice cream? <laughs> all of it, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I know. No doubt. Um, so I have another question for you and it's, we do so much around money because that's where the sport's at right now. But I wanted to touch on for sure saying like that win was big regardless. Um, but if we do look at your career earnings, just this is the progression again, thanks to Stat Mando. Uh, I'm guessing this is probably one event or two events when you started in 2017. You have $380 that year. Uh, 2018, you went up to 1,700. 2019, just shy of 8,000. And then two, 2020. I'm is that the year you full toured? Is that what it was? 2020. Actually, full tour was 2019. So that was my first full tour. So it okay. was my second year. Okay, so just shy of 8,000, but then you went up to 11,000 in 2020, and this is where it gets... With all of that, so... Yeah, with COVID, right? Yeah. And then 2021, so this year, obviously we have a big payout adding to this, but regardless of that, uh, but you're up to $56,000 this year, and my question related to this is, Again, I hope you don't take this as being too personal, but what does money like this do for you or a disc golfer in your situation practically and maybe mentally? It's got to do both. We asked Haley King this last year. Yeah. Um, yes. It's, it's come knowing what it was like um, being on tour. I came out on tour in 2018, kind of midway through the year. Um, you know, started in, at Idlewild in like June or July of that year, really no expectations, didn't have any idea what I was doing, quit my, you know, quit our jobs, Tom and I, and just sort of sent it, um, with little to no real understanding of whether or not we were going to be able to continue to do this past the end of 2018. But, uh, we, we came from very humble beginnings is all I have to say about that. Uh, and just because it, the money just wasn't really there in the sport in general. I mean, it, sure. I mean, for the people that were cashing consistently, um, they were able to get by, but, um, certainly as my sponsorships got better and, you know, I got more notoriety from playing better and better throughout, um, 2019 and then moving over to Discraft in 2020, um, that, that was such a big moment for me because the support was just so much higher. Um, and to be able to not have to think about money and hustling and trying to cash every single weekend, not knowing where, you know, what your accommodations are going to be, if you can afford those accommodations, uh, is a, com a complete game changer. Uh, you know, I'm trying to do this and this is my job. Imagine trying to like, you know, I'm, and people, people do feel this way, you know, you're working so many hours a week and you're just barely scraping by. It's, it's so hard to live that way. And, um, it's so hard to focus on your job and do a really good job. 
um, when you can't think about anything else and you, and you're, you have no ability to fo- like focus on the task at hand. So money is a huge motivator and it's a huge help in trying to be successful on the road. And yeah, this is, this not only will help me do that even better than I've already been able to do, but now I can start planning for the future. I can start, you know, maybe I, we don't have to be uh, nomads <laughs> forever. Mm-hmm. We could set roots down somewhere or whatever, <laughs> you know, so this is a big step forward um, in my life. And Tom and I are, you know, already trying to figure out how we need to best handle this sort of money and, and our future. Very cool. It's uh, yeah, it's definitely got to be something that's you know it's I feel like a blessing and a curse in a sense of like you know it's incredible that it's happening, but at the same time now it's like okay, there's now a lot more things that have to go into this to make sure it's all going to the right place in a sense. So in the but chat, it's Nick, definitely, definitely a huge blessing in the chat, and I hope there's no no offense taken here, but someone's like Tom was like hell yeah thirty thousand baby <laughs> he's so happy <laughs> so it's. A- yeah, it it is. I mean, I was like that too. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, yeah, thirty thousand dollars in one weekend. It's like, you know, that's unheard of in our sport yeah. and life in general. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's it's a complete game changer. Fifteen thousand dollars around. <laughs> that's not too bad of a weekend of disc golf. I mean, golly. That's insane. Uh, I just go back to, and I do this almost every time Missy's on here. The memory I have of meeting was on a ferry ride to Nantucket, and I had no idea who you were or Tom was. And just generally, hey, who are you? What are you doing? We're going over to play disc golf. And, like, I'm so, I I don't know. One day, well, actually, the day has come when you win a super big (laughs) tournament. I'm like, I know that person, and I met them on a ferry ride before they were big. So, and now you're hosting them on a podcast, Matt. Pretty, pretty cool how the world goes around. We no, love it. No, I'm nobody. You, Matt, for actually like speaking up and saying hi to a stranger. You know, like I feel like I'm not that kind of person. I'm very inward and introverted. So uh, yeah, you know, it was I, cool. I remember finding out. I think I, I was doing interviews when I wasn't even on camera. I was like, I was asking you questions to try to find out a little bit about you. And I think I remember you talking about just generally being athletic you did sports in high school or college and I was like all right this girl's athletic like let's see what she can do it and it I remember seeing you throw and was really impressed so like it's really cool to see where you're at at this point let me ask this question as we get close to the end of wrapping up how does a season like this because we were talking about it last week people can go listen to that interview if they'd like to uh what this season was building up to be and we had one last one and you just took it down but so that's a really good season for you at this point. How does a season like this push you even harder? Like, does it drive you? Are you feeling bigger expectations? You're going to work harder or is it the same? You're just even keel. I've been doing things right. I'm going to keep doing it that way. Yeah. I actually kind of made a joke to Tom. I was like, all right, off season's coming. Can't, we gotta, we can't get too fat, too chubby. You know, we gotta (laughs) (laughs) not too chubby. Just joking, but uh, you know it's it's true. It's it's hard to go into the off season on such a high note sometimes because I just wanna I just wanna keep going now. But at some point in the season, I was like, okay, you know, I need a week off. Like there were times where I was feeling a little sore, my shoulder was kind of you know acting up on me. And um, but for some reason, it's like I got the second wind at the perfect time. Um, and 
it's yeah it's kind of like a, a weird feeling but I, I mean I'm am very ready for the off season and there's a lot of things that get you know put on the back burner throughout the year that uh you know you just can't really handle until you're settled somewhere and have uh some time to to figure things out so uh yeah we've got a lot to to work to work through with you know getting our car kind of uh fixed up and ready for the next year and you know tires have to be changed and all of that and um you know now bigger life decisions you know how we're gonna invest our money and figure out how to you know capitalize on on this um you know luckily we're much more mature adults than maybe some people that would have would come into this kind of money so um you know we're trying to the next best best steps uh forward and figure out um yeah what we want to do you could throw parties at every single tour stop next year and invite all your friends with this money. No, no, no. <laughs> I know Missy's supplying the beer. Come on. <laughs> she, for our, for our listeners driving around their car, she waved her finger back and forth, said, no, no, no. <laughs> so, um, I'm just really excited for you. I'm, I'm so happy to know that this win, you know, came to you after all this hard work. Not that others weren't trying hard, but, it's just been coming. You watch it the whole season. And I have another show that I talked disc golf on as well. And we talked about you a lot this year and it was kind of like, all right, is she consistently going to perform? And I'm talking about you to your face right now, but then we just kept seeing it and seeing it. So you have to believe it's all the hard work you were putting in, obviously some natural talent in there as well, but hard work paid off. It's a true success story that we're excited to watch having you on the show. Super exciting. Thank you for always responding to my texts and whatnot. <laughs> Um, yes. and then randomly from a phone number that said, Oh, this is Tom's phone number and <laughs> get it all figured out. Okay. So Nick, do you have anything to close out or Missy? Do you have anything that you'd like to give as a last shout out? Because unless you reach out to us, we might not have you on again until next year. We'll see. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, thank you guys for having me on a few times this year. Um, that uh, always means it was a good thing. Um, <laughs> you reason to talk um but yeah i mean it, it it was an awesome year a huge shout out to the disc golf pro tour um and and the national tour the pga um you know uh, record setting numbers like uh what i have now on my you know pga earnings wouldn't be able to be possible without all of the people that put in the hard work to secure sponsors to um you know make the sport put the sport in the, the best light possible to secure these bigger sponsors um and yeah it, it takes an army and there's an army of those guys out there uh, most of the time i don't even know who some of them are and i'm like where did you come from i, I thought i knew everybody on the, on the staff but um it's just a it's really cool to see it, it growing so huge shout out to Anybody who has a hand in the tour, Jeff Spring and all of the guys on the on the pro tour, um, big, 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 big thank you to Tom Seven for, um, you know, just sacrificing so much for, you know, wanting to do this, wanting to see me succeed, putting every doing everything he can to try to support me in any way that I that I need. And, um, you know, now we now we took out home a big one. So can't wait for the next one. Um, and then, yeah, my sponsors. Thank you, Discraft. 
thank you OTV Discs, thank you Whale Sacks, and thank you Grip Equipment. Um, there's a bright future ahead for all of us, and I'm so excited. No, absolutely. And for uh, we do this, you know, normally, where can people find you on social media if they don't already follow? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Missy underscore disc golf. Um, and then uh, I'm mostly on Instagram, but you can go follow my athlete page on Facebook, which I believe is also at Missy disc golf. So, yeah, those are the two platforms you can find me on. All right. Very cool. In sending you out, just remind us, when does your contract with uh, Discraft end? I was just on a one year. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Season and, and, uh, what, what to come. Is it, Very cool. is it I love, convenient? I love this part of the year. Yeah, go ahead. Is Matt. it convenient that our microphone was just kind of cutting out? She was saying some words. We think she was saying, yes, I am. It, and we don't know where she's going. So <laughs> I know I am very happy with this crap. Okay. And I think that we, we will surely find a, a nice common ground for next Awesome. Week. Yeah. I wanted Absolutely. some more they're, drama they're to talk cool about. Over there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we just got to have Missy. We'll, she doesn't need the money now, but we should have paid her on the side to give us drama on, you know, what's going out there. We can, anyways. <laughs> we got we to gotta find someone in the disc golf world to give us all the exclusives, <laughs> but I love this part of the season, off-season changes. Anyways, Missy, thank you so much, and congratulations once again. Incredible season, incredible month, in, incredible year. Um, you kick some ass. We can't wait to see what goes on next year. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Matt. Uh, appreciate having have you you having me on. <laughs> we appreciate <laughs> you good. having us back on too. It's wonderful. <laughs> All right, have exactly. a great evening, Missy. Talk to you later. Peace. Bye. Bye. <clears throat> All right, everybody. Missy Gannon, incredible uh, win that she just had. I am genuinely happy, and like Nathan Queen, Missy Gannon. Two people that you can just genuinely rally behind and be happy about their win. Mm -hmm. Can you be happy about any win, somebody overcoming and winning? Sure. But I well, don't know. It's, it's not, it, the, it, it's, it's not it's, the same old. Yeah, it's it's sports. Like you're you're rooting for people, you love an underdog story, and then you're rooting against people at the same time. I mean, there are, you know, there are fans out in the world who don't want certain players to win. There are fans in the world who want only the underdogs to win. I mean, it's sports and that's what we love about it. And I think we were able to see such an amazing tournament being played out on both FPO and MPO side of it. Uh, the film coverage from what I thought was pretty great. There were a couple, I don't know if everyone experienced this or just me, but a little bit on holes 16 and 17. Um, I don't know if just bad internet service out there or if it was just bad, bad internet on my, my part could, could have been either or, <laughs> but uh, for the most part, definitely very fun to watch. I loved especially the first day, dude, there was so much action going on just between, you know, the FPO and the MPO, just all the different cards that were out there, or excuse me for day two, when the FPO started playing, I mean, there was just so much, so much disc golf going on. It just seemed like it was such a great production. I loved watching it. I like the format. I do. I do like the format. Okay. I'm before you give your hot be... take, before you give your yeah, hot take, it. Let's go ahead and get in an ad here because people need to hear your take. But we got to put right. that hook out there. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to come right. back in here. Stay tuned. Nick's Stay about tuned to the next drop bombs. We got to thank those who support us. All right.
Okay, everybody. Autumn is still in the air. The pumpkins are in the patch. Remember our pants pumpkins, Nick, or our pumpkin pants. I, I, I always get it wrong. I think it's pants it's one pumpkins. Or the other. Yeah, and our yeah. friends at Manscaped are here to make sure you don't carve your pants pumpkins when you're grooming. If you know what I'm saying, I like how it adds that. If you know what I'm saying, make sure you keep things fresh this fall. The leaders in male grooming in their brand new fourth generation performance package. This is no joke, Nick. Get ready for cuffing season like no other, ready to take the leap into fall with Manscaped. Join 2 million men worldwide. That's a lot of people. Uh, using Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off. Use the code Nick and Matt. Nick, talk about some of your favorite products there. I bring it up every single week, that Weed Whacker 2.0 for those little bit of nose hairs that are coming out. It's funny, like I said earlier, my parents were visiting in town this weekend, and my mom was asking me what all the stuff was on my bathroom counter or on one of the shelves underneath the counter. And I said, my favorite thing that Manscaped has sent me so far is the Weed Whacker 2.0, just for those little nose hairs. And she's like, if you are your father's son, you will have nose hairs the rest of your life. And first off, I was like, well, I hope I'm my father's son. But then second off, I was like... No, nah, it's definitely, it's, it's always been like a funny issue. Every so often one or two of them come out and instead of taking a little pair of scissors and trying to find it, the weed whacker 2.0, very easy. You literally just turn it on, put it up you your just nose. Turn it on. And then, yeah. You literally just hear <laughs> zzz, 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 and, and there you go. And what's interesting. And now we're talking about hair on our bodies, yeah. but Nick, yeah. you aren't striking me as someone has to shave like I do, but no, God, my no. point here is. I think this is just a universal men thing. As, as they point out yeah. here, 2 million yeah. men joining in on this. That, that mm -hmm. product, you were talking about the Weed Whacker, um, 9,000 RPM, motor-powered, 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Um, and then, again, I've mentioned this before. I've been really enjoying this product. There we go. Cologne, mm -hmm. Manscaped, refined, beautiful container, smells great. People recognize it when they smell it. And, Nick, mm -hmm. they have been supportive of here of us in the disc golf world this isn't a small company go thank them let them know that you listen to nick and matt use the nick and matt mm -hmm. right yeah the nick and matt code nick and matt 20 percent off free shipping worldwide look i went out to eat with some friends last week uh let's see last wednesday and right before we went into the restaurant put on some of the manscaped cologne and i was told i smelled very nice so <laughs> men go pick it up if you're trying to impress the ladies yeah Freshly Ladies, manscaped. pick it up for your significant others, and you will enjoy the smell. That's right. Um, <laughs> Nick, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to, before we get right into your hot take, let's do a little statter fiction. Let's and do let's do it where we involve the audience. We aren't going to make this all formalized and have the game show up and points and all that. We're going to just ask the question and see how the audience responds to Nick and my picks, as well as obviously give your picks. And I'll take a look and... We'll call out the first person who answers, and we'll just Let's go it. with it. We'll just go with it. All right, so Statter Fiction number one. Thanks to Stat Mando for this. Uh, Nathan Queen has now earned $57,983 in North Carolina, passing Michael Johansson for the most of any player all time. I feel like that's such an in-depth stat that every part of me wants to say, oh, yeah, absolutely. For how much you just said, I got to go with that's a stat. But at the same time, MJ is a legend in North Carolina. 
So I'm kind of torn between the two. I guess I'll try to take the latter. I'm, I'm going to go with, I'm going to say that's a fiction. Oh, no, all you changed that was for it not. up. Yeah, all yeah. that was for not. I'm going yeah. stat because 30,000 is such a ramp fast, like up where. Yeah, I know, right? How long would that have taken Michael Johansson? That regular tournament's paying out a thousand or less. Like you'd have to win a lot, a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to mm -hmm. go. Yeah, that's the most. Um, let's see. The first one that came in that I see stat all right let's go and check it out fiction nick all of that was not for oh, not let's go <laughs> uh let's see here um queen has earned fifty-seven thousand. so that's not this that wasn't the fiction but he earned fifty-seven thousand nine hundred eighty-three in north carolina but his second all time not to michael johansson you ready who you know barry schultz no oh uh hold on Oh, Jeremy Colling. Nope. No, no. Very so winning play player. Very winning player. Long time playing. Ken Climo? Nope. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna kick yourself. <laughs> Who is it? Schwebby, Brian Schweberger. Oh, Brian freaking Schweberger. <laughs> so, of course it is. Mr. 300. Yep. So he has yep. earned, yep. you ready for this? 74 nearly $75,000. So that's uh, insane. That's insane. So he's coming up almost 20,000 short on that. But second place, not so bad in North Carolina. Or was this North? Yeah, North Carolina. Yeah. Matt, I want to cut you off before you go into the second stat or fiction. Go ahead. Because as I'm going through the notes that Stat Mando so graciously provided us, I actually thought this was really cool. Everyone keeps calling Charlotte a queen city. And to be honest, I have no idea why. Everyone just kept calling it it. And there are multiple queen cities, I guess. But do you know what a queen city is? I might have read that thanks to Stat Mando, so I'll let you share the news. Okay, well, I'm going to, yeah, keep giving me the the uh, spotlight right now. But for people who do not know, which I'm sure I'm not the only one, a queen city is the largest city in a state if it is not the capital. So like Charlotte, Kansas City, Cincinnati, Manchester, New Hampshire, um, those are labeled as the queen city, which I thought was really cool because I honestly was curious why they kept calling everything or uh, calling Charlotte the queen city and now i know thank you stat mando <laughs> now you know baby um how do you pronounce queen city no i'm kidding that's a fun thing we've been doing lately <laughs> all right uh stat or fiction number two missy gannon is the first fpo player to ever earn multiple five thousand dollar high out or higher payouts in a single month one more time missy gannon is the first fpo player to ever earn multiple five thousand dollars or higher payouts in a single month now they say multiple that could be two times right so um in a single month wow what are you thinking on this one what other events i feel like that can't be true i mean i gotta say that's a stat but this so is FPO. But this is FPO. To ever do. But yeah, this is FPO. One, yeah, it's FPO. And two, this is the first year that payouts in the FPO division are reaching numbers like that consistently. Yeah. So that's a yeah, good, I want to say that's point. definitely if if what you're saying a stat is that Missy Gannon is the only FPO to ever do that, then yeah, I want to say that's a stat. All right. The audience right now, as it's coming in, maybe you can sway us, but everyone's saying stat. Oh my gosh, Ken Chapman, you said fact. You call yourself a super fan. You it's stat or fiction. You gotta say stat. Not okay, fact, he's had man. enough razzing. He's had enough razzing for the night, Nick. Okay. Um that's my man. So I think you made a great point on that. 
I think what you said about like, because this is specific to FPO, the cash payouts for FPO have not been that high. And there have been some events, but not been that high regularly to where they had that multiple opportunities. Maybe if you think through exactly. it, if worlds ever collided with the same month as USDGC, maybe or something along those lines, but I, I I would say the closest one maybe this year would have been whoever on the FPO side, and I'm gonna look it up just in case. What about like yeah. whoever on the OP? I was gonna say like this year we had what the month of July where there was four back to back to back to back. But that disc was golf tours. Oh, one of no, them says, being the Ledgestone Insurance Open. Oh, true. This but is saying the first FPO player. Um, yeah. It doesn't say which months, but you would have to assume it's this one. Yeah. No, I gotta go. It's it's a stat. Okay. And I'm just thinking anything else that could have happened. What about previous years? U.S. women's winner and then someone who won at the finale. Haley didn't win U.S. women's. But anyways, I'm just thinking through other options. I'm just going to go opposite of you to maybe gain a point. But everybody's saying stat. Let's go ahead and take a look and see. Of course it is stat. Of course it is. So she is the first ever to do that. Uh, interesting. So here's here's the next closest. So I wasn't. Ooh, interesting. Haley King in September of this year, so just last month, she earned a $3,500 check and a $4,000 check. So that was the next closest, surprisingly. Paige Pierce has earned multiple $3,000 plus payouts in a single month four times. She did it in October of 2020. Okay. She did it in May, June, and August of this year, but not multiple over 5000 So to your point, Nick, and it was the right point to make, FPO payouts haven't been that good to where the opportunity hasn't been around that long. Exactly. <clears throat> All right. Plus, I mean, I did just see Evan Kearns in the chat. Shout out, Evan. Oh, man. He said stat. So, <laughs> I mean, he's kind of stat mando. I, I, go and Dion Arlen was in here, too. I didn't shout oh, him out, he? but I saw him oh, earlier. Shout out, Dion. Um, yeah. Evan, throw us off. Throw everybody off. Give us the wrong answers from here on out so people don't know if they should trust you. Um, yeah, thanks to Evan for putting this together. Stat Mando, but Evan is the man behind the stat or fiction. Um, he's been in studio regularly, not this week. We kicked him out. His pay was getting too uh, costly. No, I'm kidding. Exactly. <laughs> we love him. Uh, stat or fiction number three. Um, this weekend was Nathan Queen's first time beating Paul Macbeth in the last two seasons. So now I'm yeah, go ahead. not necessarily winning the event, but just placing better than Paul. Okay. So in the last two seasons, this was his first time beating out Paul Macbeth. I'm going to let the chat kind of throw in their answers really quick, because I do want to say, if you watched the live coverage this weekend, you would know this answer. What? Live coverage of the finale? Yeah. yeah Did yeah. they talk about this on air? They, oh, they talked about how, now I'm trying to word it correctly, Evan <laughs> or Dion, correct me if I am wrong, but I'm pretty sure they had said Nathan Queen, they've played each other 54 times in the last few years. I forget exactly what it was, and he's never beaten them within like the last two seasons or something like that. Oh, so, so that's the answer? I want to say that he, this is his first time beating him. So it feels like a stat, but there's a lot of fiction coming in. So the audience yeah, is going exactly. with fiction majority. Okay. 
Um, and I haven't let everybody answer, but let's go ahead and take a look and see what it is. It is a stat. It just felt that way. Um, that being said, Paul's probably had some pretty bad rounds, but apparently Nathan wasn't able to show up to those ones or wasn't there to play. Um, so let's see. Nathan Queen versus Paul Macbeth in 2021 before the tour championships. Um, the record, and you can find this at statmando.com. You can do matchups. You can punch in Paul Macbeth versus Nathan Queen. So the record was 0 to 17, meaning like 0 wins, 17 losses um, against Macbeth. Um, I don't know why I said 54, but... I was just trying to throw you off. 17 matches, matchups in 2021. Maybe that's why, because it's just 2021 in there. Um, Their closest matchup was at MVP Open. He did have a good finish there at MVP this year. Macbeth finished 11th. Queen was 12th. Only one stroke separation there. So, yeah, incredible performance out of Nathan Queen. Thank you again to Stat Mando for that. We'll we'll bring back the the official cool. game with music intro and points and stats and yeah. all that sometime. But that was fun informal way to do it, Nick. So we one of the we made it to your hot take. But what do you got? We have, but I got something really quick. One of the awesome things we're we're gonna shout these guys out all night, especially because Evan's not in studio and we need to somehow get him back. But one of the awesome things about the Statmando website is you can look up the players and their records, like Matt was just talking about. So I decided to go on there. I wanted to see have I ever beaten Nathan Queen at an event dating from Fiction. 1990 to 2021. <laughs> Fiction. And I have, and I have one better placement uh, over him. All right, all right. And You've I'm trying it, to figure Nick. out. You've done I'm it. Trying to, yeah, exactly. I'm trying to figure out which one that was. Da, 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 da. <laughs> which one was it? It just tells you that you did it. There's so okay. So oh, at the World Championships this year, I placed ah, 43rd. You did he placed good. 56th, and so I. Ended up beating him at the World Championships, and I lost by two places against him at GMC of this year. So, All right. anyways, so, very cool. So, Shout out to Stat Mando. So it's possible probably- that you're the next Disc Golf Pro Tour finale winner next year when it's a fifty thousand dollar payout. Hey, Kevin Garnett said it best: anything is possible. Yeah, and honestly, <laughs> look at Nathan Queen. I'm not yeah. saying he didn't deserve it. He couldn't do it. He obviously did it. But he was mm-hmm. that Cinderella story, 28th seed, coming in and beating out the world's best. Awesome again. Um, so now we can get on to the hot take, which, to be yes. honest, I don't even remember. It was, Nick. It was. You were talking about you like the format, but what are you thinking oh, about? Oh, yeah, here you go. Right. This is the finale so we're like talking it. about. I like the format. I like that the players have a point series that they're supposed to try to do well at. And, you know, throughout the whole season, they're rewarded for playing well by being invited into the pro tour finale. Um, my thing is this tournament has gone from being up in Vermont. It's gone all the way down to Florida. It's now hit the North Carolina area. We've had a few years here at Hornets nest, and this isn't a knock at Hornets nest at all. I actually love watching the coverage there. I love watching players have to pure lines. They got a couple open holes to mess with some, you know, very technical second shots on these part fours. Um, but what does everyone think about, you know, moving the venue every two or three years, maybe, you know, like we did, let's say we did Hornets nest. What the last two or three years, what about moving it this year? Um, I know one of the biggest things people are going to say, it's so convenient going from, uh, USCGC in Rock Hill, South Carolina, up into now Hornet's Nest in North Carolina. So I get the convenience aspect of it. But as a viewer, do you want to see this same tournament happen here every single time? Or do you want to see it switch up? I just think it'd be cool to see it switch up, to be honest. Okay. So and I'll say this. Uh, yep. I'll also add this. 
as the payouts seem to consistently increasing year in and year out, I think the players are not going to be like, oh my God, this is the worst thing in the world when potentially in the next two years they're competing for $50,000, $60,000, $70,000. I mean, the incentive is going to be there for the players. Exactly. I mean, (laughs) yeah. So I think the point you just made there at the end was actually where I was going to kind of go to. As the event increases in its status and payout, which has already kind of established the payout that it's looking to continue to grow, traveling to this event is going to be like, we're going to do it. We don't care where it is. No matter what. Right, exactly. We will book plane tickets. We'll fly Mm -hmm. there. It'll be worth the investment at trying. I mean, look at your local weeklies or leagues when ace pots get up to like over whatever it is, $600, Mm $1,000, like... People are willing to put in their dollars to try to win that because it's worth it. And that's their last dollar they scraped out of in the couch cushions, right? But like they're willing to do it because the opportunity is so big. Might be a horrible example, but where I'm going with this is as it grows, like people will do that. And to this point, next year's tour, you go to Worlds in Kansas, and then you travel all the way up to Smuggler's Notch in Vermont from Worlds. And they do give you a little bit. Yeah. I'm almost 100% sure on that because it's the playoffs. Um, And so not the full tour. I say not the full. It's like pretty much everybody. But you travel up to Vermont. I guess my point is that things are going to be changing and it's just going to become part of it where you've made it. Like you're a big name. This is part of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I get it that the whole tour moving around is important for its growth, like strategically. But something like this, I could see moving and saying, hey, maybe not Hawaii or Australia or Europe. Like, we're not going to go there right away. But changing it up to go somewhere else. Do I like Hornet's Nest? I think it's nostalgic. I think it plays really fair for the most part. All different skills, going tight to open, open to tight. Um... I do think this venue, though, it would be, uh, this venue is fine, but I think it would be exciting to watch it change. I even thought about, Nick, tell me what you think about this idea, and I'm getting a little bit off the track. So I go to the rock climbing world a little bit, right? We have some friends that are Mm -hmm. really deep in there. We sat at the U.S. Olympic coach of the rock climbing um, competitors. He's a friend of ours. Mm -hmm. They have an event where the competitors are not allowed to see we'll call it the course, but the rock climbing route until they're ready to climb it. And they get like 30 seconds or a minute to look at it. Do you think there's any room? And I know right away, people are going to say that's stupid. We want to see our competitors at their very best playing the course, the very best. But I think there would be something very neat about watching four players or 20 players step up to a tee pad that have never seen the hole before in their life and watching how they attack the course and going that guy is incredible to be able to do that, right? And I'm thinking, could we do something like that at a finale where literally we install a temporary course somewhere super epic and do something like that? I mean, I'm really thinking out wide, yeah. wide, wide. But like, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, the you're, concept. You're there but like, the yeah, but like the concept of it, making the finale something epic where everybody yeah. has the same advantage because this thought came into my mind, Nick, because players who live local, I'm just going to throw out Jeremy Colling, for instance. 
does he have an advantage because he he not saying he plays there every weekend, but like he knows that as a home as a local course, right? Wouldn't it be neat if everybody had the same advantage? That's kind of where I'm going with this. Yeah, I think definitely if you were to do one tournament of a year like that, um, I definitely think that would be fun as a viewer. Uh, I think pros, like you obviously, you don't want to have a major there. So I wouldn't say let's do the pro tour championships there, um, doing like a blind course like you're talking about. But I do think having a tournament maybe throughout the year that has that idea. I don't think as a viewer, that'd be the worst thing in the world. I don't think as a pro, that would be the worst thing in the world either. I think actually that would be kind of fun to play, um, but I (laughs) would never want to consistently do that. Like I remember there were people in the chat talking the other day or excuse me, a couple of weeks ago that, you know, these players are pros. They shouldn't have to look at the course before playing it and yada, yada, yada. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a very dumb statement, (laughs) but at the same time, um, Uh, yeah, I think, I think it would be kind of fun. I'm looking at the chat. And I'm really surprised at the amount of love coming in for that idea. I was just expecting to get royally roasted. But people are like, I love that idea. I'm totally down. Now, either they're being totally sar- sarcastic here, but I'm there, dude. Totally on board. Great idea. Love that idea. Um, I would have fun watching that. It's made for prime time. Like, here's the deal. It would be cool to see. And as you just mentioned, it'd be fun to play it. Um, I've played some pop-up venues, if you will. And some of them are epic. And I'm thinking we could get... And this is going to bring us into our next point. And that's kind of why I'm going here. Why can't we have a venue that doesn't have other, I'm going I'm to use the word amenities, but structures and fixtures that are not part of a course built into the course. And we call this our finale. Like I don't love, and this is no knock on the course. This is knock on how it comes off sometimes on coverage. And I get that disc golf can be different and it can be viewed different. It's maybe just part of the sport right now like seeing things like chain link fences running down through the woods, the side of a fairway, like going that, like what is that delineation for or roads, right? And you see it at a lot of events where the cars drive by, like literally during somebody's putt for $10,000, you see a car drive by or like rev their engine. Um, Things like that, or just other random structures, generators or whatever it is. I'm talking about, making our finale our finale the disc golf pro tour finale or worlds or anything like on a venue without that stuff and i was just thinking of it because i saw it down there at hornet's nest not horrible but it is there and i thought man we could make this for espn look so much better and there's a lot to like about hornet's nest i love the water hole i love the way a lot of it looks but i'm saying there would be something really cool about the idea of playing a temporary setup on an amazing venue that nobody's seen no advantages there they go. It'd be neat. Yeah. I'm not saying always do it. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, disc golf needs to move more into courses that are more professional looking. Um, seeing cars drive by while people are putting is definitely not professional. I only look at this as like if I'm expecting a golf tournament, I'm looking at things that I see in disc golf that I don't see in golf. Um, so, yeah, I think we need to kind of slowly start migrating out of the public park aspect, but that also takes into, okay, now you got to have these people with private land. They got to put in potentially their own money. Did you, you look at the video? How... Did you look at Eagles crossing video at any point? So yet? I was just about to bring up so Eagles cool. crossing. I did get to watch a little bit of Simon's. I heard that dude is putting in a massive amount of money into creating what seems to be an absolutely spectacular place. Um, I think that's something that I, I can't wait for disc golf to slowly get into 
these are the courses that we see every single week rather than, you know, I'm just bringing up Tennessee because it was when, you know, I noticed it at um, the uh, national tour out in Tennessee, you notice a couple players putting on one of the elevated baskets, uh, the first or the second round. And all you see is just cars drive by cars drive by people walking down the sidewalks who aren't inspecting the event. And it just doesn't, doesn't look as professional when you're watching it. You know, like I like looking at courses that, you know, I brag to my friends about like, you know, let's say a Fox run has, you know, one hole where there's potentially a car or two that might drive by, but for the most part, it's a very pretty course to watch. Um, I mean, shoot, when we were out at Utah, there was, you know, construction going on at the Mulligan's golf course. And so all you see around the whole golf course is just a massive, I think it was going to be an Amazon warehouse. So it's just construction throughout the whole thing. And it doesn't look as appealing, you know, when I show people that versus when I show them a different disc golf course, like for potentially Eagles crossing. Yeah. So people are talking all different points on it in the chat right now. Um, people say, oh, that eliminates like skins matches and things of that nature. And here's the deal. You could just flop it. <laughs> You'd be like, hey, we're going to do the skin matches after like if, if it needs to be blind before. But something like Eagles crossings, Eagles they're crossing could be super epic. It is. Oh, they're saying is it Eagles and Nest in Missouri? Yeah, they're, they're, no, it's Eagles crossing. So okay, here, right. here's where just I'm going. Just didn't want to get the name wrong. I was actually doing a really creative transition talking about like, hey, extra media side events and all that, just flopping it because here's the next topic. Um, are side events for media from media teams or other interested sponsors or whatever worth the your career? Meaning, someone like Eagle McMahon, and I don't know if uh, you're out there, Eagle's dad. <laughs> Sometimes he comments <laughs> in here. Um, but Pat, let me know what you think. Like, I, I don't. I think this was a freak accident. So let me say that first of all. If you haven't heard, Eagle McMahon injured his arm. Not. He, he doesn't even think significantly, but it was enough to withdraw the day before. Um, but he injured it during a filming for Jomez. He doesn't blame Jomez. He doesn't say, he said it was a freak accident, okay? He did some form of a, th a reverse 360. So normally if you're gonna throw a 360, you're gonna rotate in a clockwise motion. For him, he was throwing a reverse 360, which is rotating in counterclockwise and doing almost like a side arm throw, but like a putt, like a putt throw sidearm thing. And his shoulder popped out. It just brings up the topic. What are these other professional sports players doing right during the season? And I don't follow a lot of athletes that closely to know, do they get in casual this or that? They'll get out and play golf, right? I see people doing that, but it's very low risk stuff. And maybe a filming for Jomez is low risk, but something happened. And it just brought this question to mind. How much do players consider this when they're doing these side events? I don't know. I haven't really talked very much. Maybe we should have had some of them on. Yeah. I mean, I think Jomez, uh, Jomez is doing what Jomez needs to do to, you know, make their living and they're, they're doing their job and players are agreeing to do that with them. Um, so you kind of have to, you have to fault the player in the sense of this is what you chose to do. You did it before the week of the biggest payout, one of the biggest terms of the year. Um, say Eagle wins this, you can almost, you know, solidify player of the year for him. Maybe, you know, there's a, there's a ton of different things that go along into this. Um, it's tough because I think in a sense, both parties are to blame. Um, 
I don't think anybody. I, I don't think anybody's to blame. Literally, it's a freak accident. I only use it as a topic starter for like the yeah. conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should athletes in their sport be concerned with side stuff? Like, should like at what point? Like, let's just say we have million. Well, Paul McBeth has a million dollar contract. Do you think there's anything written into Paul McBeth's contract? <laughs> Inside scoop, Nick. Is there anything written into Paul McBeth's contract that says like you can't skateboard or you can't like? arm wrestle or like you know what i mean i'm just saying like are there things well, written into his contract so now let's jump back to shoot what was it 2017 gmc uh we were up in vermont and we decided right. to go over to the fun zone for a little bit and we paul and i were racing to see who could do better on this ultimate ninja warrior setup like that and you know, just competitive, having fun. I probably did it super bad, but I think at one point that's, you know, he already had a rough back from 2016, probably wasn't fully healed in 2017. And I could be totally wrong. Paul can yell at me later if I'm totally getting this wrong. Um, but I know that one of the reasons why his back was hurting is because of a slight fall that happened when we were messing around. And so professional athletes who are doing this for their living hundred percent need to be careful on how much strain they're putting on their body, whether it's stuff in disc golf. I mean, we're coming to the end of the season. It's been a long season, a grueling one. Um, players are worn out. So you, you gotta be very mindful of what your body can actually take. And so look, this happened in September to Paul back in 2017. It happened in October to Eagle players are dealing with stuff throughout the whole year and players are finally able to take time off and be able to afford a living. And, you know, I think one of the biggest things is look at Simon was going through really bad elbow issues and was able to actually take time off, rehab his elbow, put in the work to try to get his elbow to, you know, play well again. And he ended up coming out to a few events, not as many as he probably would have liked to, but he was able to rehab it correctly. So as long as Eagle has the mindset of like, okay, I really do need to take time off and make sure everything is good afterwards, then great but yeah i think players definitely do have to be mindful of side events that they are doing yeah and that was the main point it was a segue using this illustration with eagle but i don't think it was anything outrageous i i think you should be filming and trying to help make better media so good good on i'm actually loving the fact that jomez takes this initiative to do really cool videography very neat stuff mm -hmm. sounds like they had a very expensive camera there trying to capture some good stuff so we'll be looking out for them I love Jomez and what they do over there. Um, so yeah, good and and honestly, good to hear that Eagle said like he doesn't think it's an it, he doesn't even think it's really an injury per se. He thinks maybe it's sore uh, from what had happened, but it's going to be fine. So he's going to work with uh, Seth Muncie. Um, awesome. And so here's some of our wrap up topics, which means we have another thirty or forty minute. No, <laughs> so our, our wrap up topic is thirty second time warning called. By an official on Gannon Burr in round two. And then in round three or the semifinals, it was called yep. by Drew Gibson on Gannon Burr. Some people were calling Gannon Burr um, the Nico 2.0 or whatever it was. Um, and some people said that Drew Gibson calling it was gamesmanship. I actually think if you mean gamesmanship as in trying to be. I don't know the right right word, shysty. Like, I'm going to try to game this to where I'm going to get in his head. I do not think Drew did that at all. I think he knew if I try to enforce the rules here, it might make Gannon's life a little bit harder in the game. And that's true, but that's following the rules. That's what rules do for everybody. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think gamesmanship in that sense, but not as intentionally trying to screw with the kid. Um, but but what do you think, yeah. Nick, on the 30-second call? It's been talked about all year, and then it happens twice in the finale. Yeah. Is that because ESPN's going to be watching or what? I mean, like, what's going on? <sighs> it's It's hard for me to, like... I think 30 seconds is beyond plenty of time to figure out your shot, execute your shot and walk away from a shot. Like I almost think 30 seconds is sometimes too long. Like there, there are times I bring this back to disc golf pro tour, uh, put up a couple times this year when Paul had missed the putt at Jonesboro. And then I think the same thing happened at Tennessee. He misses a putt. It rolls down. So he takes his first putt. Let's say it takes him like 12 seconds to take that putt. It hits a basket. It rolls down the hill. He takes his second putt still within that first 30 seconds. Like I think it was at Jonesboro, like 28 seconds. Paul went and did, you know, two putts and ended up making the second one. And so, it, you know, kind of a big deal in that sense. But I mean, 30 seconds is a lot of time. And you can actually notice it in one of the skins matches, Calvin Heinberg and someone else. I forget who it was, but they actually put up a timer on Nico and it was razzing. It was fun. It's a skins match. They're all, you know, talking trash to each other. But if you get called on it once, it's definitely going to affect you no matter who you are. It's going to, especially if you're someone that takes a while, like Gannon, like Nico, like Philo players who are known for taking more time than others. It might not be malicious in the way that anyone calls you out on it. And there, there are people that might call you out on it maliciously. I'm not saying everyone's a perfect gem in the disc golf world, but um, if you're going up, like say, Matt, you're taking a while, it's definitely going to affect you when I call you on it. It's the same thing. If I call you on a footfall, you're going to be mindful of that every single time you throw your next shots. So for Gannon, um, I think the commentators were saying that every single time he got called on a time violation, he bogeyed the next hole. I don't know if that's true. Um, but at the same time, you got to be mindful. Look, it's a rule. It's a legitimate rule set up in the sport. I've actually started not like legitimately setting up timers. Cause there's very, very few people who I play with that actually take that long. But in my head, I do sometimes count people's just to see, cause dude, 30 seconds is a lot. Like it's a lot of time to line up a 30 footer. Can it's we a lot take, of time to take like shot clocks. I, I thought of this the other day and it, this is an outrageous take. It'd be a funny commercial or parody video, but like shot clocks on the back of your bags. So <laughs> when you set your bag down, uh, I don't know, an official or somebody has a remote to say, okay, now it's it's ready to go, free of distraction, boom, the timer starts. <laughs> you get the shot clock pressure. Um, possibly, no, that's a joke. But yeah, I think it's important to follow the rules. People here that are saying, would Drew Gibson have called out Nico Locastro? Now, this is a st- <laughs> this is more than Stat Mando, maybe. Not that Stat Mando couldn't figure this out, but this one would be significant. When was the last time that Drew Gibson played on a card with Nico LaCastro, number one, and number two, mm. when it's on a feature round that's being filmed so we can verify whether or not this happened? But people saying that Drew wouldn't have or would have, show me the example, and maybe you have it. Show me the example where he played with him, Nico took longer than the time allotted, and Drew Gibson didn't call him. Maybe it's Look, happened. I was playing, maybe it's happened. Yeah. I was playing, I was playing in Vermont. I was, uh, the first round or this was going to the third round. My card was behind Nico and Philo. And then people actually did call them on time violations. Uh, our card had actually said, look, you guys need to speed it up. I mean, we're at hole 17 and it's been over five hours that we're playing Brewster Ridge. That should not happen, especially when there's no cards in front of you. And then the next day, uh, Philo was actually on the card behind me. 
And if anyone knows how Fox Run is played, you go from hole 12, it's a long par four, you finish up hole 12, and you have a long walk to hole 13. We had finished hole 12, walked to 13, played 13 through 17. And Philo's card was the one behind us. They hadn't even gotten to hole 14 yet by the time we finished 17. So there was a very long wait in between our card and their card. We were playing pretty well, speeding through. And their card was that far behind us. Um, so I do think that on the professional level, especially at Pro Tour events, players need to be more readily calling on time violations. Uh, all that does is just cause massive backups. It makes it unenjoyable for 99% of the other people out there if you're consistently breaking uh, a rule. Yeah, I have no issue with somebody being called on it ever. And I think to some points here in the chat, even if it was gamesmanship, it seems a little bit like, eh, but it's part of the game too. I mean, I I'm not saying I love smack talk, but I do like smack talk. <laughs> like if you're in sports and you can get into somebody's head, just do it in a way that follows the rules. I'm cool with it. So there's that. Um, I think that's a conversation that could go on forever. Um, but let's just see real quick here. Um, Paige Pierce ends her season on a low note. I think we'd be remiss not to bring it up at all. We don't have to talk a long time about it, but she went to Music City Open, the NT finale. Uh, placed, what, like 13th, or maybe I'm exaggerating, but not well. Um, went to Throw Pink, which is not, it's just an A tier. I say just, but we all know when we talk to Missy about it, it feels bigger. It really is bigger. Brian Schweberger in the chat, Nick, just so you know. And um, I just I actually just saw that. Shout out Schwebby. Yeah, so we got to get his take on it. He's probably just hearing some of our takes right now um, on the 32nd violation. Um, but then you have Paige going from throw pink, not doing well, playing the worst rounds or round of her, uh, not career, but we looked at the stat for largest swing and ratings that honestly it goes way back like 10 yeah. plus years. Um, and then she goes here saying, I want to have a season finale that I'm proud of. And that was how she worded it in her social media. And I was just like, I really hope she's able to do something for her sake. Got knocked out. And you got to give it to her. She has the great personality of a great human cheering on, making all the focus not be on her. She knows everybody wants to know about it. She said she has lessons to learn. She's going to look forward to it in the off season. I don't know. She started off her season kind of on a low note and ends it kind of on a low note. Um, it's interesting. So, no, I agree. Nick, um, definitely. I mean, she she look. She had an incredible year. We look at just kind of stats. One of the big ones you can look at is money throughout the year. She's made sixty five thousand dollars. No year. big deal. So she's she's <laughs> definitely had an incredible year. She was second place at the World Championships. She's got well, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11 wins, uh, winning the match play championships, Idlewild, Ledgestone, uh, Utah Open, Portland Open, Santa Cruz, the Women's Disc Golf Championships, which was a major this year, also Vegas and OTB Open. So she's got a lot of massive wins this year. Uh, she does also have a lot of second places, third places, and it really wasn't towards until the end of the year that she got throw pink, you know, 10th place, Texas State's 11th place. That was earlier in the year. That was back in March. But then Music City opened in 13th place, and then this last event getting out in the first round that she had played. So she's had a very good year. Yeah, There's no, no doubt about oh, yeah, that. yeah. I, sh I, I, we talk sometimes just very boxed in and a topic, and I was just mm -hmm. kind of hitting the topic of how she finished out mm -hmm. her season, unfortunately. But you're right, great season. 
Um, the cash is super high. I think that has to be some of the highest cash payouts for a single year ever. And that just tells you a lot. This year was groundbreaking for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. Yeah. And we jumped a little bit, but just closing out the Gannon birthing, the time violation, this is good for an athlete. Remember when, uh, Chris Dickerson last year after winning the USDGC, do you remember what all the talk, or there's a lot of talk about was his jump putts. People were calling him out. Oh man, so many violations wouldn't have won with those jump putts, you know, taken back or put faults called. Nobody's calling Chris Dickerson on it. Chris took that to heart. And you know, what's interesting. I never really looked to try to call it anyways, but I, he said he was going to go on the off season and work to make a hundred percent sure that no one could call him on it. And so and my point is people, it makes them better when they get called on stuff. And in the case of Chris Dickerson, um, he just wanted to stand out and above. And I'm hoping that Gannon Burr will do similar things. And, and again, I'm not there timing him, but if his competitors feel like he's taking a long time or they're not keeping up with the pace of the group in front of them or whatever it is, they do need to call it. Yeah. All right. Nope, I agree. Nick, two last things. First of all, back to the finale, which we're talking about, how cool would it have been? And it didn't happen, but I was like writing the storyline in my head. If Haley King won and Nathan Queen won, it would have just been epic. The King and the Queen. It, yeah. Like, I don't know. It was it was so close. Definitely. So close. definitely would have been pretty funny. Probably would have been one of the only, you know, uh, actually, I know Nathan Queen and Elaine King have won and have been in the past. Okay. Um, definitely not something as, you know, major as this one, uh, but I'm pretty sure it has happened. I forget okay. where. I read that, but I'm pretty sure it has happened. Probably recently. Maybe that's why I was sticking out in my head. Um, but yeah, it would have been very cool to see <laughs> Haley King win it and Nathan Queen. It was an opportunity. Um, Wasted. All right. So I think we already talked about Haley King and her, her performance in the final round. We did. Let's go to this, the last topic. We're pushing a lot of topics to next week because we need stuff in the offseason. <laughs> Yeah, all right. Um, tour cards. Does anybody know this? You didn't really quite know it, and that's no diss on no, you. But the top this. 75 MPO players on the Pro Tour and the top 25 FPO players on the Pro Tour received tour card invites. And I say tour card invites because my understanding is they have to purchase this. And I don't remember what the price would be, but they have to purchase the tour card. And maybe the tour card is like purchasing the season. I'm not quite sure. We need more information on that, but it's starting and yeah. it's, it's not we'll leave that as a cliffhanger for next week. Yeah. And I don't think it's true. It is tour cards are not going to fully restrict. In my opinion, this is like an intro season where it's kind of like you get first dibs on it, but honestly, 75 MPO is not filling up a field. So it's kind of mm -hmm. just like first dibs, a status thing. I think it's a good move. We do want to hear more well, to about be honest, it. I wouldn't be surprised if eventually in the sport of disc golf that player fields like the size of the fields goes down by a lot. I mean, eventually when the pro tour is for only pro tour players that are playing on the tour, tour cards, you know, whatever, um, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes down to 72 players per tournament. So who knows that might be happen or it could go down. It could limit the size or yeah, you have mm -hmm. to have a tour card, which maybe it's, it's more players, but the point is, yeah, I think that's I've... within the next three to five years. So this is not a hot take. And I think maybe even you said something along these lines. Silver series are going to become a lot more, not a bigger deal as far as like the pro tour is concerned and like, you know, media and all that, but like they're going to become a bigger deal for a lot of players who want to get on quote unquote 
tour. Bingo. Like, it's going to change the status of a, a pro tour. Right now, we still say it's a big status. Hey, he just won a DGPT. But in the future, it's going to be like, wow. Just like PGA. Like, you won a Disc Golf Pro Tour. Like, that is epic. So, yeah. I don't know if you said this, and now maybe I'm just throwing things out there. I'll let you react to it. Did you say, like, hey, like, and this might have been your own take. I'm not putting words in your mouth. But, like, Paul Macbeth may never play a Silver Series again. Was that you? I don't think so. Okay. I, was... uh, I mean, I, I was probably saying that there eventually become a point where he doesn't have to. You know, I I think I know who I told me that. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't think like I don't think Silver Series should count too too much into your Pro Tour points because I I think you know the Pro Tour finale should be catered towards the top pros in the sport um, who are going out and consistently playing well at every single disc golf Pro Tour event. I think the Elite Series, uh, excuse me, the Silver Series will eventually become its own thing, like you were just saying, for the players to get out onto the road and um, for excuse me, lower caliber players to get a name for themselves, make a name for themselves get out and try to win these silver series events to get, you know, potentially even in the long future invites to play at elite series events. Uh, I mean, I have ideas, which I with, with how I think the tour is going to go. Um, but that would, that would take me about an hour to really talk about everything. <laughs> yeah. And we got to hold on. Like I said, we gotta, we gotta stretch out the off season. We're going to bring some good exactly. topics. We're going to go back Thank to whether know. or not Nick likes sweatpants on the disc golf course. <laughs> okay. Oh God! I it's forgot coming. that was going to be one of our. Not yeah, tonight. I forgot that was going to be one of our hot takes. But, not uh, tonight. We're going to push that. I hate sweatpants and I hate earbuds. <laughs> We've got more. Bring us your takes. Um, and we are going to. Some people were sending us, um, that episode we talked about where we made picks for this year. We said, "Who's going to win?" We said, "Yes or no." Calvin. Yes or no. Nico. We went through it like that. We still got to find it. We had one of our listeners, Todd, send us something. It was a conversation about players' performances for the year, but there's one where we consolidated it and just said yes or no to wins. And we got to find that. I'm going to try to do that by next week so we can listen to that snippet and react to our takes on how the year went. It'll be a good time. Um, Nick, I think we've got to the end. Anything we missed yeah. that you want to talk about? Or are we there? I just got to say one last yeah. thing. Yeah. To... People who are saying our title spoils every single week who wins the tournament. There are no spoilers in live sports. I'm sorry that it was spoiled for you, but I'm not at the same time. Um, our show consistently for the last almost year now has been based on trying to get the winner from the previous big event. Hold on. Um, Wait a second. How did our title spoil this? Hold on a second. It says Nathan, it Nathan Queen, Queen tells, tells us how he did, how it, he did it. it. Yeah. How he did it. We don't know exactly. how he did it. Like, what are we talking what about? Do? Did he hit like did a he, 80 footer, 90 he, footer on hole 18? Like, what are you talking how about? How did he buy? How did he buy a new RV? Yeah. Like, he that's all. Tell us how he did it. I left it as vague as I could because I knew there'd be people complaining. And I was like, you know what? Exactly. I'm going to take them into consideration. I'm not going to say how he won. I'm going to say how he did it. So, yeah. I don't know. Um, but anyways, sorry, <laughs> definitely not sorry. <laughs> no, like, like gonna, I, I don't want to come off as like arrogant and mean to those people. I'm sorry it was spoiled for you. Actually, seriously, like yeah. if I was trying not to be spoiled by something, I'd be bothered too. But it's not our fault. It's like you went on YouTube no, and exactly. you listened to Nathan Queen interview. Like you didn't have to do yeah. that. I'm and sorry. Yeah. Like I said, for the last 10 months now, we've consistently tried to get on the winners <laughs> of the previous event. So Just, anyways, Matt, you got anything left? No, I'm, I'm having a good time, but we are a little late. Uh, we're over the two hour mark. People like that. All right, go ahead and close this yeah. out. Anyways. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I was just reading one more chat that got sent at. Nick. Sorry. We're going to push it a little further. 
Yeah. Anywho. Uh, hey, everybody, thank you for tuning in tonight. We had an incredible show, Nathan Queen and Missy Gannon. Go ahead and check us out on all the post podcast platforms. I think Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, everything like that. Um, thank you for tuning in live tonight. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. Leave us some reviews, whatever. Comment, or excuse me, subscribe to the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel. Uh, thank you to Foundation for allowing us to be a part of that. Tell someone you love them this week. We'll catch you in the next one. That's true, Nick. I'm just laughing because there's some funny stuff going down in the chats. I know. Join us live, everybody. Nick, you're awesome. Peace, Peace. out. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt show on your favorite podcast platforms or stream us live exclusively on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel.